The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast, Thanksgiving edition. I know a lot of you are probably listening to this while you're cooking up giant turkeys and stuffing and mac and cheese and mashed potatoes and uh, some sort of vegetable dish. Uh, Couldn't be happier to have you guys with us this week. Hope you guys are having a great time, uh, responsibly great time with whoever you're celebrating Thanksgiving with. Uh, Obviously, I know the big gatherings are probably not happening this year, but... Still wishing you and yours a happy holiday season. And uh, before we get to all the football, EJ, my wonderful co-host, buddy, how you doing? What are you drinking? And what are you thankful for right now? Oh, I am thankful for a great many things, but want to want to give a big shout out to everybody that supported us with Bootleg. It started this year. We couldn't do it without you. And quite frankly, we wouldn't want to do it without you. You've been with us since the beginning. You listen to us ramble on every week about football. You interact with us on Twitter and in the comments on YouTube. That means a ton to us. Uh, again, this wouldn't be an exercise without all of you and all of your input and suggestions and, um, quite frankly, razzing uh, when we don't get it right. We love all of it equally. Always thankful for family, certainly thankful for health, uh, maybe even more so than typically in this particular year, wishing you and yours the same health and safety in, in what is a very different holiday season. But we've got football, such as it is. Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about some COVID impacts this week, but um, hoping you can find a way to celebrate that feels good to you and is safe. Um, also thankful for the fact that we get to talk about football and drink, um, do both of those things. I'm off for the rest of the week while we record this, but I have, uh, one of my favorite beers, Silver City Brewery, uh, from here in Washington, um, right out on the Olympic Peninsula. And this is their Ridgetop Red Ale. It is 6% by volume. It is a beautiful deep red ale. Um, with almost an ambery type taste to it. Um, one of my favorites. I like a lot of things they make. Love the fact that they're local. And uh, so I brought this one on because it reminds me that I'm quite thankful that I do not live in a beer desert. Instead, I live in the Pacific Northwest, and we have lots of choices. What do you have to drink? I got my uh, tried and true Lagavulin 16 with me this week. Uh, I was kind of debating between that and the Brooklyn Port Charlotte. I really like peated scotches kind of when the temperature 
gets colder, you know, in the holiday season especially. They, they like alcohol obviously will warm you up no matter what, but a good peated scotch, you know, sitting in, in your you know sweatpants and talking about football, it's uh it's the best <laughs> way to kind of keep warm and, and keep happy. So I got my Lagavulin 16 with me. Uh, and that being said, why don't we talk about some actual football, since that's what we're paid to do here on Bootleg Football Podcast. Uh, we do not have a shot of the week this week, by the way, because we did our rookie recap last week. So we're going to have new Bootleg Shot of the Week nominees as we go through these games. The first game being Rams-Buccaneers, the Monday Nighter that we just saw a few days ago. Hell of a game. Kind of messy. But in terms of just pure entertainment value, uh, I loved it from start to finish. And I think um, one of the key takeaways that you and I both had while we watched it was the adaptability of Sean McVay. When you look at their pass versus run splits, you know, we think of the Rams being a run heavy team, which they are overall, but they went into this game seeing that the Bucs have an elite run defense, you know, easily top two or three in the league. Uh, Maybe the Steelers being the only one that's better. And they're like, you know what? We're not even going to bother. We're just going to throw, throw, throw. In the first half, they had a 25-6 to pass-to-run split. And in the entire game, they only had 16 carries for the running backs, 51 passes for Goff. And it worked for them. So hell of a game plan from Sean McVay. And uh, you know, kudos to him for, for staying adaptable. Yeah, absolutely. We did the... Uh... Bears Over Beers podcast this week, and we talked about some things that we got right on the season, going into the season, and some things we got wrong, and we both thought the Rams might regress, and I gave my reasoning for that, which was I thought Sean McVay might be a little stubborn, might believe in his system and say, yeah, we got exposed a little bit, but we just need to execute it better and kind of double down and do the same thing, and he has done the opposite. He has shown that he is versatile and adaptable and that he is willing to go back to the tape and say, how did we get lit up and how do I need to change? And he has changed his approach, especially to offensive football, fairly significantly, and the Rams are humming because of it. So that versatility, that willingness to adapt and not just sort of weld yourself to a system and say, nope, we're going to you know, ride or die with this is a big deal, and as a young coach, it bodes incredibly well for the longevity of Sean McVay in the league. I wanted to call out that because of all those pass attempts, and they said this during the game, and I thought, there's no way that's possible. Uh, But the Rams set an incredibly notable record, which is the first time two Rams wide receivers have had, who have both had 10 catches in a game, and that's Cup and Woods. And that on the surface in the modern NFL kind of seems like a, okay, cool, whatever record. But if you think about the history of the Rams, their arid out history from the AFL, and then the whole greatest show on turf period with Holt and Bruce and Falk and Hakeem, three of those guys could end up in the hall of fame that they never did this. Like this is the first time the Rams did it. I was incredulous. I was like, no, they, they absolutely have to have had a game, but nope, it's true. It's the first time Two Rams receivers have had more than 10 catches in a game. And those guys really set the tone for this game. You talked about McVay coming out throwing. And look, the Bucks have some good secondary players as well, some very good secondary players. Mm-hmm. We've talked about those guys all year. And the Rams still thought we've got a better chance against them with our setup than we do running the ball. Now, they've lost you know, very notable offensive linemen, and that probably went into it as well. But that's a good coach, understanding where his team and his talent and his personnel lies and saying, I think this week 
we should adapt our game plan so that we can win. And McVay did it this week. He saw those matchups he liked, and he went after them, and it worked out for the Rams. And I also want to say, you know, another theme for the Rams this season is just unselfishness. These guys go out, they do their jobs. If it's a run-heavy script, the the receivers are going to be blocking their asses off. It's If it's a pass-heavy script against a blitz-heavy team where we're going to get a lot of pressures from the second level, the running backs, if they know they're not getting a lot of carries, which is what happened in this game, they will block their asses off. You look at Henderson and Malcolm Brown in the backfield. They had uh, blitz pickup duty 12 times in this game where they had to pick up a free rusher. They did not allow a hit. They did not allow a sack. They allowed nothing. Just really good blocking and unselfishness from these skill position players at every single position. The tight ends do their job. The receivers do their job. The running backs do their job. And they're all going to kind of rotate who gets the spotlight from week to week. Again, as you mentioned, based on the game plan. But they have no problem with that. There, There is... No issue in this locker room about who gets to be the producer and who gets to be the enabler. And that's why this team works. It's the same thing on defense. Very unselfish. You know, it's, hey, we got uh, we got Jalen Ramsey on the outside. He's going to do his thing. Uh, we're going to have the safeties double everybody else. And it works. Uh, the culture of this team and how they all kind of sell out for each other and do their jobs and don't complain, that's why they're going to win a lot of games. Yeah, that rotation you talked about with the running backs, we've talked about that earlier with the Rams this year. They're one of those teams that's on the borderline of having probably three running backs who are all, um, you know, replacement level or better, right? Uh, Darrell Henderson, we've talked about his explosiveness. We've talked about Cam Akers a little bit. He had some, again, of the not very many carries the running backs had in this game, he actually scored his first NFL touchdown. We both like Cam Akers coming out last year and then Malcolm Brown is sort of the unsung guy that has really carried a large part of the load over the last couple of years when Todd Gurley's been hurt and he did it again in this game he talked about his blocking but those guys don't care that I'm only going to get two carries like it's not exciting as a running back folks in the NFL when your coach comes out and says look we might get 15 to 18 carries in this game we're going to be throwing the ball a lot you're going to be in there and that means basically you're going to be taking blitzers in your face and leaking out on screen routes all day like that's what mm-hmm. you have to look forward to that's not an exciting day versus the Buccaneers they're an aggressive defense they're really skilled and they're tremendously physical but these guys put their chin up and say coach if that's what you say we need to do to win we're gonna do it and all three of them do it nobody's pouting nobody's bitching everybody's making the most out of every carry and that that carries over to the rest of the team as well. It's not just the running backs. And that is a big deal. Football is still a team game. Yes, we talk about individuals a lot. Yes, we talk about quarterback play a lot because it's extremely important. But it's not the only thing. You can't win with that alone. Yeah, and I think uh, on the other side, there's a similar kind of story. Uh, even though the Bucks lost, uh, all these receivers, you know, we kind of, we were we were wondering you know, okay, if Antonio Brown gets injected into that locker room, and theoretically he's going to be taking a lot of catches from Mike and and Chris, you know, how would that dynamic be? They haven't really had any issues in terms of just distributing the ball and Tom always say, I'm I'm going to throw to whoever's open. There's been no issues with that. Um, The only real problem I think the Bucs have had even with all these receivers, is just deep ball chemistry. They missed on a lot of deep balls against the Rams. 
some that were Tom's fault, some that I would say were more towards the receiver's fault. Uh, but I, I think once they can get these deep balls connected, which they're very close to doing, I think we're going to see the potential of having this you know, crazy all-pro laden receiving core. That's really the only missing ingredient that they have right now. There's no problem in the locker room with these receivers. It's just chemistry with Tom that I think is the problem. Yeah, and deep specifically, there's been a lot written about this this week that Brady's skill set and Arian's focus on offense, especially on the vertical passing game, people had some sort of quiet questions about that. Nobody really wants to come out in the preseason and say, Tom's a terrible fit. And it's not a terrible fit. Let's be honest about that. But this piece is plaguing the Bucks right now. And there was a little bit of overemphasis, I think. You always want to play with the new toy, and Antonio Brown came on. I think they forced a few too many targets to him, but not many. It was not as lopsided as a lot of people were predicting. My only problem with what they're doing with the receiving core is because you're right. They're very close on the deep balls. They didn't miss by much, and Tom will get that dialed in because he is, uh, let's just call it, notoriously competitive. He'll, He'll figure that out. I'm not so worried about that. What I'm really worried about is that they have a tremendous player, or they have three tremendous players at that position. But Chris Godwin is a guy that needs more touches. He feels very much to me like... Allen Robinson in Chicago, right? You have a guy that is supremely talented. He showed it in this game, went all Superman, jumped over a defender and squeezed the ball inside a pylon for a touchdown. That was one of his few touches this game. And he's one of those guys that every time you start throwing him the ball, you're like, why don't we throw this guy the ball more? Because every time we throw him the ball, he's productive. So Godwin's touch is sort of not being... um, prioritize and I'm never going to say look you need to mandate a number of touches you still need to go where the play takes you and what the defense gives you but Godwin getting like three and four and five targets a game is misappropriation of resources that guy produces when you get in the ball so let's find him a few more times a game to get him the ball let's get those targets up to eight ten twelve a game and you're going to profit from that because he's going to create positive situations to keep the offense on schedule what i found interesting is because godwin is so good you know you they left ramsey on on evans all night and evans won a few and ramsey won a few that uh touchdown evans had was just insane you know (laughs) running through we need to talk about that because everybody was talking about the aj brown one and rightfully so in the titans game we'll get there um, that was the highlight of a receiver going beast mode and scoring a touchdown. But Evans was literally the same thing. He turned into the Hulk and just dragged defenders with him. This is a pure effort touchdown from a very talented receiver, but nobody was talking about the Evans one, and everybody was talking about the A.J. Brown one. Yeah, I mean, they're they're both just monstrously large individuals. And even though Evans did win a few battles against Ramsey, because, again, he's freaking nature— uh, what was interesting is because Godwin is his own freak of nature, he was the one getting the double, which probably partially contributed to his, his overall lack of touches compared to AB because weirdly enough, they were leaving AB man to man and I, I guess it kind of worked for him. Um, but Godwin was just getting consistently doubled over and over again. If he was the number three inside, you had a linebacker bracketing. If he was the number two, you had a safety bracketing. Uh, if he I'm, was I'm the just going to say the real ones know. <laughs> right yes yes the like defensive they... coordinators are like look 
Mike Evans is awesome, and you know we're gonna try and maybe double him or give him one and a half coverage if there's such thing, right? Cheat to his side. AB is sort of on prove it status, sort of getting back in the league. Like he's all timer, but maybe not right now. Uh, yeah, we're gonna double Godwin. <laughs> well, because you saw what happened when they didn't. You know, uh-huh. he gets he gets the ball in space because I think it was on a, like a little quick out route. There was no corner there to trap him, so he gets the ball in space, and then it just becomes you know me versus you, and he won because he's Chris Godwin. So it kind of makes sense why he was doubled so much. Um, what was again interesting is that they opted to leave AB one on one just to see what would happen. Almost got him killed in the second half. I mean, we're talking three inches away from Brady hitting on a deep ball to AB that would have been a huge game, probably. Yeah, hit him uh, hit him in the hands. Like, like I would say the AB fingers. from three, four years ago catches that ball. Like, it's a tough catch. Yeah. Like, let's not make any mistake. He's diving down the middle on a deep seam throw. But it goes off his hands. I'd say, you know, AB three, four years ago is a lock to catch that ball. But when these teams meet again in the playoffs, when Mm -hmm. these teams meet again in the playoffs, though, if they do that again, they leave AB one-on-one when he and Tom theoretically might be a little bit more dialed in. I don't know if that ball isn't getting caught. I I, I think, uh, you know, it's kind of a pick-your-poison situation when these teams meet again in January. Because, again, Tom's chemistry with these guys has been a little bit spotty all year long. There are going to be problems with the deep ball here. Will those problems persist the rest of the season? Probably not. But at least for now, uh, it kind of makes sense why the Rams game plan that way and why why Tampa's struggling. Yeah, and you have to keep Tom clean. That's the other piece because the Rams defensive line, incredibly talented, as we all know. And they got to him in this game. And whenever you get to, uh, I'm just going to say Hall of Fame quarterbacks because Breeze is the same way. If you want to beat Drew Brees, interior pressure is his kryptonite. Uh, You know, Peyton Manning was the same way, that if you got on him physically, if you put him on the ground a few times, he started to look not quite Peyton Manning-like. And Tom is the same way, and he has been throughout his career. There have been times when he's gotten absolutely smacked. Look, anybody that plays 20 years, it's going to happen. And come up and win and won the game. It's it's not that there those examples don't exist but in the current iteration again still developing chemistry with the new team which is a highly underrated thing it's very difficult to do sam farmer from the la times put out a really good article this week where he talked to four former quarterbacks uh he talked to matt hasselback trent dilfer steve young and rich gannon about what it takes to kind of go from team to team and what they thought they saw about tom that was good and maybe what you know what was troubling him and look they all had great things to say but the bottom line is if you bang tom brady around a little bit right now and that chemistry isn't working so great you can derail him a little bit and the rams are able to do it you know, will a team be able to do it when playoff Tom shows up in a month with a little more time with these guys? Uh, I wouldn't want to bet on that. Like, I would probably put my money on Brady because, look, I'm betting on past performance. But if you can get to Brady and physically mess him up a little bit, he is not the same guy. He's still a good quarterback, but he's not the same guy. Yeah. And. 
Is anybody really surprised by that, though? <laughs> you know, no. We've, we've seen I that for over so. ten years now. We've seen that for over ten years now. Like interior pressure is not his friend. When he gets hit over and over again, he looks different. I think that's always been the book on Brady, and that's part of the reason why you know, even though he beat the Rams in the Super Bowl a couple years ago, it's not like they put up a lot of points. You know, like that defense got to Tom over and over again, limited them to what thirteen in that game in that Super Bowl because. Aaron Donald is Aaron Donald. Like they had a great defense that year too. Um, I think the book has always been: you get pressure on an immobile quarterback like Brady, and it's it's kind of a different ball game. So they did a good job of that. Uh, I when you look at this defense uh, under Brandon Staley, they've done a good job of generating pressure all year long. I don't think anybody was surprised by that. But I do think uh, again, if they just hit on a couple more of those deep balls when they were singled up maybe it would have made a difference. So, Oh, totally, totally different complexion. On the Rams side, I want to call out uh, three rookies. Uh, we've talked a lot about, obviously, the draft uh, on this podcast, and, and we've talked a lot about rookies. And three guys that we talked about in sort of different levels had an impact on this game. Uh, we talked about Cam Akers getting his first touchdown and contributing pass protection. Um, Van Jefferson who is a guy that uh, we really came away from the Senior Bowl thinking, this guy's going to be good, sneaky good, pretty quickly. Um, Got his first touchdown on a little slant as well. And then the one I really want to talk about was probably the least heralded, was definitely the least heralded of the three, Jordan Fuller. Mm -hmm. Now, Jordan Fuller is a defensive back out of Ohio State. He's a safety comes late in the draft. He was a two-time team captain in that loaded OSU secondary. That's a big deal. He was steady, but not spectacular. Look, athletically, Jordan Fuller is not going to blow you away, but he cleaned up everything, and he got overshadowed by the guys that were more athletic, and rightfully so. Jeff Akuda goes extremely high in the draft. Sean Wade on the other side, Damon Arnett, like all those guys are getting a ton of press, and people forget, people sleep on Fuller a little bit. Gets grabbed late by the Rams. They work on his weaknesses, which were largely angles and wrapping up. They have him play ST the whole time, right? He's a special teamer. And he comes into this game and he ends up picking off Tom Brady twice, right? He picks off the GOAT twice, once to end the game. This is how you build a team, right? You find those guys that you say, Mm -hmm. look, he's got his limitations, but we can coach him up. You bring him in. You work on him. If it works out, you bring him in as a piece. You know, the Chiefs have the same type of guy, Daniel Sorensen, who years ago was a guy that I looked at in college and said, I don't know why this guy's not getting talked about more. He's a very capable secondary player. Look, he's not your star starter. He's definitely not a guy you're going to draft in the high rounds. Daniel Sorensen was a UDFA. If you look at it, he had another pick this week. Like, those guys will help build your team. you got to find those gems the Rams did with Fuller. Yeah, and I think it's also a credit to to Brandon Staley for who was a, kind of an unknown positional coach under Vic Fangio, you know, getting his first shot as a DC in terms of how he designs his defense around the skill sets that he has to work with. You know, he knows, hey, I have arguably the best press man corner in football. We're going to leave him out on an island. I have two safeties that can be best described as 
too high guys, meaning not tremendous range if one of them is just going to play single high all day, but uh, they have really good instincts, they tackle well, we can play in two high shells and then spin late if we really need to, if we want to get into a one high look, we can do that, but we're not going to show it pre-snap because we might get punished by that. Neither of those guys has great range. So we're going to emphasize that we have good boundary corners. We're going to protect our safeties. They're going to be really good in terms of getting into run fits. Uh, you know, we're going to play odd fronts where we're just mashing uh, the inside of the offensive line and then spilling things out to our really good tackling safeties. Like how he designs this defense to protect against weaknesses and emphasize strengths. Again, all the credit in the world to Staley. Um, I think you could argue that he's going to be like a, a hot head coaching candidate sooner rather than later. Probably more for a team with a veteran quarterback than a young quarterback, because usually when you have a young quarterback, you're going to want an offensive coach. But for a team like, say, well, I don't know if the Lions will hire another defensive coach after the, <laughs> the Patricia Careful experience. with that. <laughs> but if you have an established really good quarterback like uh, Deshaun Watson in Houston. If you miss out on Eric Bieniemy, if you miss out oh, on... Oh, I see how this is going. Dable. <laughs> I'm just saying, the Texans' defense is really bad. I think if you bring in a young, innovative, uh, defensive mind that knows how to adapt to all of the college stuff that's coming up into the pros right now, which clearly he's done a good job of in L.A., that knows how to tailor a defense... Uh, and if you just, if you can then pluck an offensive coordinator, you know, another young up and coming guy, <laughs> like the Joe Brady's of the world, obviously Joe Brady's going to be a head coach, but if you can find another one of those that can help your offense, like you have a quarterback of Deshaun Watson that's playing out of his mind. You don't really hundred percent need a coach that can come develop him. He's developing just fine. But I think Staley might be a good fit for the Texans because right now, one of their biggest problems right now is not on offense, it's on defense. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but again, Staley, just it's a name to, to watch for head coaching opportunities. He's probably going to get beaten out for a lot of jobs by the offensive guys. But for other teams that are really more looking for a different kind of vibe, he's got to be pretty high up on the list. He's certainly going to get some great interviews and... It's a credit to him. I really like how he's elevated his profile on that side of the ball. And he's going to be, I don't want to say one of the few, but one of the few being that he is a young defensive star. A lot of the mm -hmm. young offensive stars have been sort of over <laughs> overworked, overwrought. Like that, that field has been tilled multiple times, and people are still going to look for it because, look, it's an offensive league, and that's not going to change. But like you said, for a team looking for a slightly different flavor, uh, Staley is a good choice. Uh, I think we, speaking of defensive flavor, I do want to talk about the end of this game where it just seemed to be defensive play after defensive play after defensive play. Uh, there was a pick, uh, kind of a series of picks, but led off by Jordan Whitehead on Jared Goff, which this was kind of a, a, an almost turning point in the game, I should say, before Fuller got his second pick. Uh, but I want to talk about this pick from Whitehead. It was like second and 16 in the fourth quarter, and he read it all the way. Because he, he knows, hey, it's it's the Rams. Like They're not going to want to get second and 16 all in one bite. Uh, they're going to want to work the middle of the field, set up third and manageable where the playbook really opens up. They really don't want to put themselves 
uh, in a position where they're throwing a low percentage ball that makes it third and 16. They're going to want a higher percentage ball. And it was, uh, I don't say this lightly, it was a very Eddie Jackson-like pick because they're sitting in too high, which he knows when Jared Goff sees too high, he's going to want to work the middle of the field. So he doesn't even back up, really. He's like, look, I know that they're going to run this seam bender over the middle. I'm just going to plant my heels in the ground and wait for it. As soon as he saw it, he triggered, stepped in front of the ball, picked off Goff, gave his team a chance to then come back and win the game, which ultimately they didn't. But I really want to shout out Jordan Whitehead here for uh, you know making arguably the best defensive play in a game full of really good defensive plays. Yeah, and look, the Bucks defensive backs um, are really good. We've talked about them all year. Uh, certainly, I have pined uh, courts of tears about Antoine Winfield and the fact that he's not in Chicago. But Whitehead has played at a very high level. And, you know, the corners have played really well as well. And the fact that Cooper Cup is a great wide receiver does not make Carlton Davis a bad corner, right? He put Carlton Davis on skates a couple of times in this one. Uh, But Carlton Davis has been having a very good season. And this is what happens sometimes when you line up very talented guys against very talented guys, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody wins. One of them's got to win. (laughs) That's right. Somebody wins because they played better on that day. It doesn't mean that, oh, it took advantage of those lousy Bucks corners. Not the case. The Bucks secondary has played really good this year. And Whitehead gets forgotten a little bit, but he shouldn't because that was a great pick. It definitely gave his team a chance late and good on you for calling out Whitehair for creating a very good chance for his team. And then uh, I I, want to talk specifically about that second Fuller pick. I know we talked about Fuller, but uh, it kind of ties in everything we've talked about in this game in terms of chemistry, uh, in terms of underappreciated players on defense. That game ceiling pick in the last two minutes where it just kind of looked like Brady overthrew Cameron Brait. And I kind of threw up a clip of it on on my Twitter talking about my interpretation of it. Was it a great throw? Not particularly, but I think what happened, again, it was a chemistry issue between Tom Brady and all these receivers. It's four verts. Again, they're showing two high before the snap, and then they roll into one high because they never want to just show one high before the snap. They always want to kind of disguise it and then roll into it later. So they're throwing, uh, you know, four verts at it from Tampa, which is a great way to beat one high. And interestingly enough... Brady, when he was in New England, when they would get that, and Gronk was his tight end, which Gronk was not in the in the game for this play, Brait was, uh, how they would kind of do that is they would widen the seam and then almost kind of run a fade uh, if Gronk was the number two against one high, and then he would throw it outside and high, and if it was incomplete, it was incomplete, but he wanted to kind of protect the ball from the post safety and protect his receiver from getting hit. And so that was kind of the trajectory that I saw in that ball was he's throwing it high and outside. So it looked overthrown. But again, in his head, he's thinking, well, I have a 6'5 tight end that's going to go jump for it. It's not really overthrown. Uh, But Brake bent the route inside instead, almost like he was kind of bending the route against a too high look. So I don't know if he didn't see the rotation or, or what. But to me, that pick was less of an overthrow and more of just kind of Brady having trust in a guy to read it the same way, and then he didn't, 
Like, obviously, it's easy to go back and look at it and say, well, he should have thrown the bender to Godwin on the backside where he was one-on-one, there was no safety, he was vacated. It's easy to say that, but, you know, when Brady does the same thing for 20 years, which is when he sees one high, I'm throwing the seam route to the tight end, high and away, if he does that over and over and over again for a long time, and then he expects it to be done that way with his new team, with a new tight end that he's barely worked with, it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate but again, it's it's another one of those things where it's Brady's used to doing things a very specific way, and they're not being done that way in Tampa. Yeah, and he didn't miss by much, right? You're talking about if Brady stems that route a little bit differently, like you said, really sort of at the break and, and sees it the same way that Brady does and goes. And look, Cameron Brady's a very good tight end. I, I love for Cameron Brady to, you know, migrate to the Bears. That would be amazing. But he misses by very little fuller happens to be in classic bracket coverage, right? He's the guy over the top and Brady literally throws it right to him. It's not like it's a tremendous pick. Fuller does a good job to bring it in, but like he throws it pretty much right to him. But again, if Cameron Brady had done something three steps earlier, different, that ball would have been very close. Like he would have got his hands on it for sure. And whether or not he comes down with it is anybody's guess, but it's not as, uh, let's call it egregious as it looks on film in this particular case uh, because of what Cameron Brait sort of did at the decision point in his route. Yeah, so it's just kind of a, a night of, of very unfortunate things happening over and over and over again to Tom Brady. I'm not really going to talk about the whole handshake thing because I don't care that much. Like if people choose to be upset yeah, about it, yeah. But this is fine. Brady's mo, right? It. The reason I don't want to talk about it is because this is not news, right? This is not the yeah. first time that Tom Brady's done this. This is Brady's mo, right? He gets skunked, especially in. Well, he gets beat. He doesn't get skunked. Like, let's be honest. The Bucks put up plenty of points and were competitive in this game. But Brady is fiercely competitive, and look, it's made him the greatest quarterback pretty much of all time. And you don't turn that off when you lose a game that you think you had a chance to win. And Brady knows full well after a couple decades in this league that the Bucks were close, right? That they had a legit shot to win this game with just a couple of plays like we talked about. This is his thing. He puts his head down and runs for the locker room. If people want to get outraged every time, they can, but I'm like, and you're surprised? I just, there, there's more important things to be upset about. Like, oh, he's setting a bad example for your kids. Okay, if you're <laughs> the parent of a child, that's your job to set a good, like, you can look up at the TV and say, hey, shithead, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't do that when you lose. Okay, like, you're, you're the parent. Like, EJ, you have kids. You could very easily point at the TV and say, hey, don't do that. Go shake hands. Like, that's your yeah, job as a parent to set my, an example. In my case, it's, hey, I would prefer that you do this, but you get to make a choice. And just know that either choice has a consequence. And you get to decide. Like, that's what I try and teach my kids is that, you know, I'm not going to be there forever. That's just the case. And you're going to get to choose. So choose how you want, but know that if you do this this will happen. And if you do this, this will happen. And you can decide what it's worth to you. And a lot of times yeah. my kids will look at me and say, well, tell me which one is right. And I'm like, well, there isn't really a right. You get to you get to pick. 
And, you know, they hate that answer. And I hated that answer as a kid. I, I fully understand it. But that was the best answer because it's true. Nobody gives you a book and says, this is the way you should do it. Look, Tom Brady's a great quarterback. He decides that when he wins, he shakes hands. And sometimes when he loses and he thinks he should have won, he puts his head down and he runs to the locker room. That's just a fact. So you can deal with it however you like, and you can judge it however you like, and that's up to you. But don't be surprised. If you're surprised, you're just silly. You haven't been paying attention. This is not the first time. Yeah, I don't know. It's just it's a non-issue to me. But anyway, moving on to Brady's former team, since we've been talking about this game for almost 40 minutes now, let's talk about Patriots-Texans. And I'm going to get on my soapbox here and say, uh, if your name is not Patrick Mahomes... You are not a better young quarterback than Deshaun Watson right now. He is playing out of his freaking mind. And I, I there was kind of a tweet that went around and I, I responded to it and I did my order of like, if you have your choice of all these young quarterbacks for the next 10 years, and Mahomes was not on the list because obviously he's the obvious number one. Uh, but if you had all these other quarterbacks, it was Deshaun, it was Dak, Daniel Jones for some reason, Kyler, Lamar, <laughs> Allen... <laughs> All of them I think were that was a, I think that was a litmus test, right? If somebody picks yes, Daniel yes. Jones, you can automatically discount most of their opinions if they chose <laughs> him over all these other choices. Now, you can say what you want about Daniel Jones and his potential, and I think he has some in certain situations, but if you choose him over these other choices, I'm simply not going to listen to your football opinions generally. And especially if you choose him over Deshaun. Like Deshaun was my number 1 easily it was there was kind of a tier of five where you're going to be good no matter what it was him it was Dak Lamar Kyler Josh Allen you're going to be fine with any of those five guys but I put Deshaun at the very top because you trade away his best receiver in DeAndre Hopkins there's turmoil in the front office and the coaching staff uh the offensive line was not gelled for the first you know month of the season but ever since Brent uh, O'Brien was fired he has been playing at not just an elite level, but arguably an MVP level. He's not going to win it because the Texans are not a very good team. But if you take Deshaun Watson out of the Texans, they are the worst team in the league. Even worse than the Jets, I guarantee you. They are awful. And yet Deshaun Watson is dragging them to be competitive every single year and beat a Patriots team that, while not great, is still better than people think. He is playing out of his mind this year. And that's why I think that, you know, Biennemi would obviously be a great hire. Uh, you know, Joe Brady, I think, would be a good hire. Dable would be a good hire. But you can get away with hiring a defensive coach if your quarterback is Deshaun Watson, because as long as he is your quarterback, your offense is going to be fine. I fully agree. And the note I made in this one that there is there's something different about Deshaun this year like Deshaun has always had we talk about him it feels like I talk about him every week as a magician because he does something that literally no one else can do inside of a collapsing pocket extends a play and and makes a great throw keeps his eyes downfield now you might say Kyler is more mobile and you would be correct but that doesn't mean he has the vision or the just purely strangely innate sense of where a guy is and what I need to do. Deshaun Watson is that guy you could never tag in flag tag in elementary Mm -hmm. school, right? He was always the last guy left and you were always sort of like, man, that guy's just got, he's just special, 
right? And Deshaun has continued that on into the National Football League, which is one of the highest level of athletics on the planet. The thing that makes him a little bit different, uh, especially in the last few weeks, is I made the note, I haven't seen him throw this hard regularly, maybe ever, in his career. Deshaun has always been an accurate thrower. He has always been an on-time thrower. He is thrown with anticipation. Uh, he can throw down the field. He can throw short. He does both well. This year, especially since Bob left, he is ripping the ball. And I mean threading needles, throwing ropes, whatever you know euphemism you want to throw in there. And he's doing it consistently, and the ball is on. But he is throwing the ball hard like yes. really hard regularly and that's notable because he hasn't done that previously in his career he's been tremendously effective regardless of how he throws it but right now he is focused and he is driving the football in a way that we haven't seen from Deshaun Watson before there was a a, a route that he threw I think it was to Cook's like in the first quarter of this Patriots game, it was off a rub concept, and then uh, he released down the field, and then uh, Gilmore got got rubbed, and so it was kind of Cooks all alone. And he threw this thing. It was basically like a seam ball, but it was not really a seam ball. Uh, and he put it over the hands of J.C. Jackson. And I mean, this was a heater, like a Josh Allen, Justin Herbert quality heater. And I had the same kind of initial reaction to you. I was like, shit, I got, I got to send a message to to Quincy Avery, his his offseason quarterback coach, and ask him what he was doing because he's never had this velocity. Like it's yeah, he's been got good, Popeye it, arm. Like he had oh his can God. of spinach and he's opening up the can of whoop ass. Like he is look, Deshaun Watson has a lot of positives to his game. We talk about them all the time. Like velocity was never one of them. I mean, notably he, you know, hit the radar gun at the combine at the lowest level, blah, blah, blah. That that has never mattered to me never held that against Watson he had plenty of juice to get the ball where he needed to go but he didn't have that little and we're going to talk about this the with frozen Justin rope. Herbert later on like Justin Herbert threw one of the balls of the year this week he threw a ball that the defenders just kind of looked at go by and were like <laughs> shit like we didn't think he could put that in there from there like and they they actually gave each other a high five after the play. The beaten defenders looked at each other and just smacked hands and were like, <laughs> "Whatever, man. Like we didn't do anything wrong." And Watson is throwing the ball like that and that has not been a component of his game and anybody that's playing Deshaun Watson right now should be afeard of that because he had everything else and now he is just tossing lasers. You know what I think it might partially be is for the first time in a long time, he's actually throwing from a clean platform consistently where he can step into stuff, you know, really drive the hips and kind of show off the arm. You know, we're so used to him throwing on the run or, you know, not really being able to step into stuff because of a collapsing pocket. He only got pressured 12 times in this game against the Patriots. One of the best pressure rates uh, of his entire career, you know, not too long ago, it used to be get 12 pressures in like the first half, you know, so he was, the offensive line played great, probably had a little bit something to do with the Patriots pass rush, not being 
super awesome. They don't really have like that one stud rusher that they can rely on. Uh, you know, once upon a time they had a Chandler Jones where they could get away with rushing four. Obviously, they haven't had him in, in several years. Yeah, we um, haven't talked about that, but I saw that stat. Uh, actually, this morning when I was scrolling through Twitter, the, the Patriots went from first in overall DVOA, defensive DVOA to last. I think it's because teams have kind of figured out what they do. It's, hey, we can't we can't rush with four, so we have to blitz, which means we're playing man coverage. And if the corners aren't playing out of their minds, which they're still playing well, but like last year they were playing out of their minds. You know, Gilmore yep. was the defensive player of the year. Jackson played great. They had all these DBs that were phenomenal. And so they could get away with blitzing so much. This year, they're getting beat a little bit more. They're getting rubbed a little bit more. They're getting Yeah, but it's not even a little bit more. Of. That's the thing is like I would expect a drop from first just on natural statistical regression. Like you're not going to be it's unlikely you're going to be first two years in a row. But I would have said like 15th, maybe if things went terribly like 20th. Like, to go from first to 32nd in a category as important as that, that's a thing. Yeah, it's 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 surprising, but also not. Just kind of based <laughs> on, like, you know, they're, like Bell, Bill's doing his best. He's like, look, I know I don't have great pass rush. Like, we have to blitz. But he also knows, specifically in the Texans game, like, Deshaun's one of the best quarterbacks against the Blitz in the entire league. Like, you can't blitz him. He's a 100 quarterback rating against it. Super accurate. Uh, no picks. Something like, or no, two picks and seven touchdowns against the Blitz, which, again, pretty damn good. Oh, yeah. And Bill, Bill has never even tried to run zero against him in like the last couple meetings because he's like I'm, I'm gonna get killed if i do that yeah, i know better uh, right <laughs> i know better like he and so if you can't blitz deshaun which is what they do that means you're not going to get any pressure and if deshaun's not pressured again as we saw in this game he had one of the best games of his career because he just sat back there and was like oh man this is so much easier when i'm not running for my life like i'm a great quarterback i'm a great thrower it's like yeah deshaun this is what life is like with a good offensive line so i i don't not every team is going to be able to do this against them because they don't have a deshaun watson but for the teams that that do have a great quarterback or uh, you know mahomes uh i don't even know who else is left on their schedule allen i think I think they still have to play Allen one more time. Like, it's it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard. Like, there's going to be games like this where they get lit up through the air because they can't generate a rush. Yeah, for sure. Um, the Patriots, I think, are very clearly not what they were before, which is the AFC East juggernaut that is the penciled-in winner before the preseason ever ends. Uh, you know, it's been two decades of that, and it's different, and it's a little bit surprising. Um, but speaking of a little bit surprising, a quarterback entering the bootleg shot of the week nominee category, Deshaun decided he was going to lower his shoulder at the goal line oh. and run over one of the McCourty twins and score. And we're going to we're going to nominate him. We're going to recognize that effort from a quarterback that's doing literally everything else and then decides on top of it, hey, I'm going to play some old school football, lower my shoulder, and just bowl this guy over and go for the end zone. So Deshaun Watson, a bootleg shot of the week nominee um, for running over one of the McCourty twins on the goal line. Yeah, he's, God, he's just so damn good. He's the only thing as, as a Texans fan I have to look forward to every Sunday. Like, he's it. He's it. And I have to say, and this is just for my own pure joy, 
He fired an end zone dart to Kiki Cutie, who I actually liked coming out of Texas He does Tech, exist. <laughs> for a score. So we have a Kiki Cutie sighting, and I'm, I'm just going to dance on that uh, grave of my scouting report just, just a little bit. Um, we had Roby destroying Burkhead. He did not make bootleg shot of the week because Burkhead went down. And I got to say, look, I'm not a Patriots fan. That's fine. I am bummed by this. Burkhead, it's a knee injury and it sucks. Burkhead is one of those guys. I've watched almost every game that's been played in the NFL this year. And Burkhead is one of those guys that shows up no matter what. No matter how bad the Patriots are getting their ass beat this year, Burkhead is the guy that is driving, playing hard, late in the fourth quarter, picking up key first downs. He's just a guy that plays the same speed all the time, no matter the situation. And I, I for one, am bummed that we're not going to get any more Rex Burkhead this year because he is a damn good football player. And he was always that guy where it's like, oh, it's third and six. I know the screen is coming it's still probably going to work. And most of the time, yeah, it would still probably work. Like he's he's very slippery. He's got great vision. He's versatile. He blocks, he catches, he runs. Physical. He's <laughs> physical. He's very quicker physical. than you think. Like he's he's the ultimate patriot. Uh it really sucks that he went down. And again, it's not like Roby was trying to hurt him because nope. It's like, "Hey, it's Burkhead. If I go high, even though he's not the biggest guy in the world, I'm probably going to bounce off. I got to go low and cut him down." And it just you plant the foot at the wrong time. You take a hit from the wrong angle. It just happens. So it, you know, prayers up yeah, to nothing. To nothing malicious about it at all. Nothing but malicious. It just, it's it a happens. bummer. It's just a bummer. Cam had all day to throw in this one, which is notable. That has not been the case all year. Um, and he's developing a really nice connection with Demir Bird, who he's worked with before. Mm-hmm. But he throws a great arcing TD down the seam. It, it's this is two guys having synergy this is cam like you said earlier about brady tossing that ball up and expecting his receiver to do something demure bird does it kind of arcs back and leans into the middle of the field catches that ball right on his chest and it's an easy td beautiful long throw from cam to demure bird who had a big game yeah i remember when he was coming out of college um ironically he kind of had a very similar skill set to somebody else in his draft class, and that was Will Fuller. And I always looked at him as like the discount, discount, discount option. Like if you don't get, you know, Fuller or Corey Coleman was in that class too, uh, you know, like the true uh, speed threats. I was like, okay, well, there's it's always Demir Bird. The dude ran 4-2 on grass, crazy fast, crazy explosive. And I was like, okay, well, you know, let's let's kind of keep an eye on him later. Spent a few years in Carolina uh, with Cam as the other, 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 other guy. Never really <laughs> got on the field as much as I thought he would have. But, um, you know, they were drafting a whole bunch of guys that ended up getting a lot more playing time. They also spent a lot of time in 21 and 12 personnel. So it kind of under- understands why he wasn't on the field all the time. Went to Arizona last year. Where, again, I was like, ooh, okay, with Cliff and Kyler, that kind of speed, that can work. But, again, he was the other, other, other guy. Didn't get as much on the field as I thought he would. Comes to New England this year where he's clearly the fastest guy on that offense, and it's not even close. And I had a little bit of hope. So, it's okay, maybe he'll actually get on the field now as a field stretcher. You still have Cam, who I think his arm is fine. It's not what it used to be, but it's fine. The other the other receivers, you know, you got Jacoby Myers, who's more of a possession guy. You got Nikhil Harry, who on his best day, you hope can be a you know big-bodied post-up guy. You got Edelman, who's not 
toast. Not the same. <laughs> he's toast. Uh, so I was like, okay, he can be the vertical guy. And that's kind of what he's turned into. You know, almost 15 yards a catch, monstrous performance against uh, Texan secondary that leaves a lot to be desired, especially at the corner position. Uh, great touchdown. And I think this, again, for, for a guy like Cam who saw him for multiple years in Carolina not get snaps, I think Cam was like, oh, okay, this is what I was missing that whole time. And he's really developing trust. He threw up a couple jump balls to him that he came down with. They got him the ball in space. Uh, again, that go ball touchdown where he just really did a nice over-the-shoulder adjustment. I think we're going to see a lot more Demir Bird because he's the most talented receiver in that receiving core, at least just in terms of pure explosiveness. And to be honest, he might be the most trustworthy too uh, outside of... I, I guess you could say Myers. Jacoby Myers. But, yeah, I would say Myers uh, is ahead of him, but Demir Bird definitely brings a different He's not that far behind, element. but he's no, also No, especially not. You saw that in this game. That was not the only catch he had. Like, those pure speed threats, if that's the only catch they have, look, you can scheme for that. But if you're going to catch balls on little comeback routes on the sideline, if you're going to catch, you know, some little sort of squirt routes in the middle where you can pop free of coverage early in the first two or three steps, catch a little slant, you know, go down, get a seven, eight yard gain. Like Demir Bird did all of those things. And that's uh, that's a well-rounded receiver. That's a guy you've got to guard uh, well on every play. Yeah, it only took five years, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, it's um, all about situation. You know that. Yeah. I, I do want to uh, bring up Jonathan Grenard, who's somebody who we, I don't want to say we tore him apart in the pre-draft process, but he wasn't either of our favorites. We like Zuniga out of Florida more than Grenard. Um he, he was kind of known as the king of the unblocked sack in the SEC, I'll just say that. But he actually beat uh, Isaiah Wynn for his first NFL sack this week. Really nice, long-arm move, just kind of got up and under his chest, bull rushed him to the back, and then countered back inside. That was honestly what I was hoping to see from him at Florida and never really did, so nice to see him doing it in the pros. Really good move, showed off the power, and a hell of a sack. Yeah, it's nice to see Grenard get uh, get on the stat sheet. There's a couple of guys that we were not wild about. Um, the other one is Wanham, who's ended up in Minnesota and has had a very nice rookie season. And I was not at all fired up about DJ Wanham overall. A lot of tools, but uh, again, a lot of work to do. It goes to a place uh, that's you know known for defense. Mike Zimmer gets a hold of him, says a couple of things, and sure enough, Wanham is producing. So uh, Alton Robinson is another one who had tremendous talent, but just never delivered on that. He was an incredibly high recu- recruit going to Syracuse, always had the tools, and he was just one of those guys that you're like, man, he should be dominating games, and he rarely did. Goes to Seattle, he's getting some good looks. He's had some opportunities. We talked about him in the rookie report. So really nice to see these guys get their get theirs as we move into the second half of the season and they start to adjust to the speed and the power of the pro game. Maybe it's scheme, maybe it's coaching. Um, We're going to talk about that in a little bit with some other rookies, but that's one of the fun things to watch as we go to sort of down the stretch here. Yeah, I uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to see where his career goes, especially because this Texans pass rush is is getting older, you know. Watts, is needing, <laughs> yes. yes. Watts up there. Uh, I've really liked Jacob Martin as a young player. Uh, weirdly enough, I I, <laughs> I don't want to say that they won the Clowney trade, but Jacob Martin's at least still, 
you know, around, <laughs> you know, Clowney's not even with the Hawks anymore. It's, you know, he's had, he's had some nice sacks. If I remember correctly, in week one, he even beat Mitchell Schwartz back when Schwartz was still healthy, which is not an easy task. Like Martin, I think is, is a young guy that you can look at. Grenard, obviously, if he keeps making plays like this, is a young guy you can look at. Watt's not going to be around forever. And Whitney Merciless is, uh, he's not what he used to be. I'll just be frank. Um, so again, they need these young guys to step up. So good, good to see him making plays. Uh, speaking of Watt, by the way, had kind of a vintage JJ SWAT kind of performance, uh, knocking down four passes in this one. Kind of interesting why you would still try to cut block him and throw it over his head at this point, because he's got these long Groot arms that can get out of a cut block and then reach up and bat it down. Like he did that multiple times in this game. Uh, again, throwing throwing the quick game behind JJ's never been a good idea, uh, but they just kept trying it over and over and over again. So, again, a huge day batting down passes. Didn't get a sack, but you know had had just as much of an impact in my opinion. Yeah, for sure, influenced the game, and it's good to see he had a little resurgence three four weeks ago. We said, okay, JJ is starting to do JJ things again. Um, this was another way that shows. Look, he's a total pro. He's just because he's not getting to the quarterback doesn't mean that he can't really influence the overall outcome of the game. And he did this week with batted passes. Yeah. So overall, very solid win for my Texans. I know we're not going anywhere this year, but we don't even have a first round pick anyway. So if we win, like, I don't even care at this point. Like as in, I don't care. A lot of teams in our position would be like, no, we need to lose. We need to get a high pick. We're not getting that. So I'll take any win I can get at this point. Cause whatever Miami's getting our pick anyway. I'm sure Miami fans are, pissed that we beat the Patriots <laughs> well, actually I, honestly I would I would love to hear from Dolphins fans in the comments are you more happy that the Patriots <laughs> lost or are you more upset that the pick is now worse I'd be very curious to get your opinion on that because I'm sure there's a lot of conflicting feelings but that being said uh let's go to our third game that we're going to highlight in depth this year we're damn near at an hour so Oh God. Okay. This is going to be a long show. No, it's going to be, this is going to be the overstuffed Thanksgiving (laughs) edition and you all can just gorge on it. And look, we've got some time today. So settle in folks, buckle up. We're not going anywhere today. We got more things to talk about. And chiefs Raiders is at the top of that list. Um, We left it for last. This was a tremendous game. It's good for the NFL when the chiefs and Raiders is a real rivalry and one side or the other, as they have throughout history, gets the upper hand sort of clearly. There have been periods in both teams' history where they beat up on the other team, and it's not as fun. Uh, look, as a Bears fan, I clearly understand that Bears-Packers used to be a thing. Hasn't been a thing in years. It's still a big game, but you pretty much know how it's going to go. Chiefs-Raiders, uh, Mike Mayock and John Gruden, there were a lot of laughs when they hired Gruden about the contract. Everybody kind of reserved judgment on Mayock and said, we like his we like his takes, but how's he actually going to work when the rubber hits the road? The bottom line is they've constructed a team that's gone toe-to-toe twice with clearly one of the best teams in the NFL. They don't have a lot to show for it in the win column, but if you're paying attention to the nitty-gritty The Raiders are in a good spot. They were highly competitive in this game, meaning they could have won it until Mahomes Mahomed right at the end. And yes, that's a verb. I mean, how could it not be a verb at this point? He does it every week. Yeah, he's just no, he's, he's crazy. He's put it in the dictionary for sure. And oh my God, Derek Carr, just, we need to talk about. We talked about him before 
the season uh, in our free agent quarterback preview that was one of our very first pieces that we did for bootleg football. Still up on the YouTube site if you haven't checked it out. Um, go look how wrong we were. <laughs> we were talking about Derek Carr as yes. a guy that could play well in the quick game. Uh, needed to be protected, but, you know, could get you some production there. And we're basically going off the last couple of years. There was a 2016 period where Derek Carr looked like he was ascending. Um, yeah, an injury, really never got back to that level, but a, a good quarterback. Derek Carr has just completely crushed the good quarterback mold this year, and he is playing tremendously well. We've talked about his deep ball, and what I want to talk about this week that I saw in this game was patience and the younger Derek Carr. And I mean, Mm -hmm. any point before now was never this patient. There were three or four plays in this game where he was extremely patient. And if he had not been, he wouldn't have gotten anything out of it. If he had broken for the sideline, dropped his eyes, tossed the ball out of bounds, gone for the check down, whatever, he would have left those plays on the table, and instead, at least two of them were very long games to Nelson Aguilar, uh, or sorry, Aguilar, and you know he had others as well. And that patience is staggering. This is a clearly more mature and settled Derek Carr. He's on a completely different level than we were talking about in preseason. The Witten TD later in the game was a great example. Waited, 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 rolled out, kept his eyes downfield. Wasn't sprinting to the sideline to run himself out of grass. You know, just sort of measuring the distance between him and the defensive player. Witten comes open super late right in the corner of the end zone, the front corner, and he flips it to him. Like, those are not plays that Derek Carr would have made maybe ever previously in his career, and he's making them every week now. He's playing with a confidence that I have not seen since 2016, to be honest. Like, back when, you know, he was like a legitimate MVP candidate, uh, then he broke his leg, and he he kind of fell apart for a couple years after that. He, he played a little bit more gun-shy. Um, he didn't seem confident in throwing deep down the field, even though he had a great receiver at the time in Amari Cooper before he got traded away. Uh, the offensive line, it was hit or miss. It, it, it wasn't playing like it is you know, this year or last year, obviously, but it wasn't like awful. The defense I did feel was awful back in those years, which I'm not saying it's great now, but at least it's better than it was uh, under Ken Norton. But in terms of confidence of like, hey, I can roll out and throw a dime on the move to Nelson Aguilar, which he dropped. But good God, like it was an amazing throw, which DC of old, I don't know, you know, post 2016 up until now, I don't know if he would have even tried that same throw. Uh, He would have either thrown it away or tried to run or just taken a sack. But again, it's that confidence. It's almost like an arrogance. That, that you want from a great quarterback of like, yeah, I got a one-on-one down the sideline. Let me throw it up. He wasn't doing that for a long time, and now he's doing it, and it's making a huge difference. Uh, and maybe it's because the offensive line's better. Maybe it's because Gruden is just a great coach, which he is. Maybe it's because he has more weapons than he has in a long time. Maybe it's all of those things together. Maybe it's a mind uh, mindset shift with Carr himself. I don't know what the prevailing factor is here. All I know is that the results speak for themselves, and that's that Derek Carr is playing, I don't even want to say it's just the best he has since 2016. I think he's playing the best he has ever. I fully agree. I fully agree that 
all the things you talked about, the confidence bordering on arrogance, and, and that's really what you want. It's a fine line you have to walk, but it's a fine line you have to walk to win games in the NFL. The deep ball we talked about two, three weeks ago, clearly on a different plane than I think ever. Like you can go back to 2016 and say, yeah, but it just doesn't feel the same to me. And the patience, you add that, again, that comes from that confidence. I got it. I got it. I got it. I can make a play. No, I got it. And some guys have too much of that and they take the bad sack, right? We call that no clock, right? They look and look and look Mm -hmm. and they just get wrecked. He's not getting wrecked. He's getting the ball out at the last second and picking up 15-yard gains, 25-yard gains on crossers. Like the comeback to Witten was a classic example for a touchdown. Late, late, late in the play, but he's got it. He's he's not panicking. He's not throwing things up. These are not heaves. It's it's a whole different fusion of comfort in the system, physical mastery of the position, understanding the weapons he has around him. He is absolutely fusing all those things together. And right now, he's a top five quarterback in the NFL. And people might say, oh, EJ, that's way too high. I challenge you to name more than five guys that are playing at Derek Carr's level right this very minute. And the answer is not earlier in the season, right? Right now, as we start to line up for the stretch run, name me five guys that are playing more consistently sort of out of their mind than Derek Carr. I don't think you can do it. Uh, I'm just going to try this off the top of my head. Patrick, Deshaun. Yep. Rogers. Right now? Look at the Packers over the last four weeks and tell me that again. If right we're just now, doing over the past month, if we're just uh, doing over the past month, uh, it's Mahomes. Uh-huh. It's Deshaun. Uh-huh. Uh... The fact that we're struggling at three <laughs> means five is going to be tough, right? You can make some arguments. Russ is starting to get back to it. Russ is starting to get back to it. He he yes. slacked off there for a couple of weeks and threw some terrible interceptions and did some very non-Russ-like things, but he looked like himself. Oh, in, I know in, one. In this week's game. Go ahead. Taysom Hill. No, I'm just kidding. Feel free. <laughs> no, no. no, Taysom played great. We'll he did have a good that, game. We'll get to that he, later. He's not playing better than Derek Carr, but he had a good game. No, no, a lot no, of people are no. going to yeah. eat eat crow on that one, and that's fine. But I would say, look, it's Mahomes, it's Watson, it's Russ. If you want to throw Rodgers in there, you could. But I think it's debatable that Carr's not playing better than he is right now. Um, but him and Josh Allen and Kirk Cousins are all like in the running for fifth, which is saying a lot. Yeah, and Kirk has had his up and down games. He had a great game this week, but he's had a string of games that haven't been great. Allen is getting back to a level. Again, if you're talking about first month of the season, like Josh Allen was playing better than Derek Carr by far, right? He was making great decisions. He was having huge impact. The Bills were rolling. He he struggled as well. He's fallen off a little bit. Bills are still winning, but he had a kind of Russ-like moment there where we went, oh, wait a minute. And he's, he's climbing back, which good quarterbacks need to do, but... The fact that, you know, you get to two quarterbacks in a 32-team league and then you kind of go, I'm not sure, like that says a ton about where Derek Carr is this year. Yeah, he's just, God, he, I'm, I'm happy because the league is better when the Raiders are good. Totally like the NFL, The NFL is a better product when Raider Nation gets to be 
cocky ass Raider Nation. It just is. And I know yep. a lot of AFC West fans listening to this will be like, no, God, they're insufferable. I know. That's the point. <laughs> we love it when, when the That's Raiders the are thing good. they do. And they got this new That's stadium, which do. is amazing. I can't wait to check that place out. It is it is so Vegas. I just can't even stand it. And look, Vegas is not my favorite place, but that's a region I'll go. And my you wife know, has product... actually been there, by the way. Did I did I tell you that Nicole actually? So she was driving out to New Mexico, okay. uh, and they stopped in Vegas on the way. And and her and her friend, you looked at the state. This is before the season. It was like, no, oh. uh, and uh, they saw the stadium in person, and she's like, "Bro, you you gotta you gotta am, come out." I'm like, officially jealous insane. of your wife for another reason. Like Nick is an yes. amazing person as it is, but the fact that she's been to that stadium and I haven't, uh, just one more tick in that column of things that Nick is good at or has done that I haven't. So um, credit yeah. to your wife for that one. Um, but no, the rest of this game, look, Mahomes was Mahomes. Uh, not surprising. His first, his first touchdown was to Hill. Are you surprised? <laughs> Little flip nope. score where Hill goes out to the edge. No, not surprised at all. Hill, a factor again. We talk about this every week. He had five for 37 and a TD on that drive <laughs> out of 14 plays. He came out with five receptions, 37 yards on a TD in a 14-play drive. First one, not surprising to anybody who's been paying attention. Um Clyde Odrizelaire, a guy we talked about a lot, who we love. Great little interior second effort run. Um, Just won't be denied. We talked about this over and over again in his scouting report. On the downs that really matter. Third downs, he's got to pick up. Fourth downs, he's got to pick up. Goal line rushes, he's got to pick up. You're not going to find a way to stop him. He is just extremely crafty that way and physical enough to back it up. Um, Scores to tie it at 14. I want to talk about a Zay Jones sighting because I was a huge Zay Jones fan. Went to Buffalo, had obviously some issues, um, ended up in Las Vegas and has not necessarily done anything. Nice little flip screen for a nice gain. So a shout out to Zay Jones. Um, uh, Mahomes continues to do it throughout the rest of the game. Um, Clyde Edwards Alaire does it again late in the game with a weaving 15 yard run following his blockers dives to the pylon. Um, not that much different than what we saw from Chris Godwin picks up a TD. Um, Josh Jacobs on the other side, got to give a shout out to him, ran really hard and really hard in the Gruden style, right? Gruden mm-hmm. has some signature runs where the, the running back is going to get contact. And I think back to guys like Charlie Garner and I mean, a lot of other Raiders running backs, but like, Hey guys, you're going to get there. You're going to have to put your shoulder down. There's going to be a guy on you and I'm going to see how much you want it. Like that is an old school grid and play. And Jacobs is all about that. He had one in this game. Josh Jacobs is, is literally John Gruden's ideal running back. He is so close. It's hard to tell the difference. I agree. And he just ran over one of the chiefs defenders, lowered his shoulder. Classic classic. Go back. If you want to understand the Raiders run game, under Gruden go look at that play go look at Josh Jacobs and go yep that's it that's the prototype play um we talk about Max Crosby as a rusher a lot of effort great TFL on uh Clyde Edwards Lair later in the game uh just shot inside got inside his block immediately and and made the play good for him um Raiders I think played with great balance you talked about the defense not being uh, as good in those earlier years the defense played really well again considering they're up against KC, the sort of primary offensive juggernaut in the league right now 
uh, I thought they played very, very well. They certainly gave their offense a chance to win. And we've talked about the offense and Carr and Waller and Aguilar and Josh Jacobs. Like they have a lot of weapons and they all played up to this game. Nobody, uh, nobody came into this game sleeping. That makes it a great game. Two teams sort of at their peak slugging it out. Not surprisingly, it comes down to a last minute drive, right? Carr shows so much patience throws that late TD to Witten. They take the the lead, 31-28. And what's the first thing everybody says on social media? They scored too early. Right? <laughs> they left him too much time. Like, that is so much credit to Mahomes. We don't want to overlook him when we when we sort of discard him and say, oh, he's obviously the choice. Ah, oh, he's obviously leading the MVP race. That's not to be discounted. Patrick Mahomes is doing all the things that Carr is doing and then some. And he's... He is what he is. I think we all know what he is at this point. He drives down. They scored a wide, wide open Kelsey in the end zone. Um, that puts them up actually with time left, which is crazy considering the last time the Raiders scored, they said, oh, they left too much time. You know, KC mounts its entire drive scores and there's still time left for the Raiders enough for, you know, Derek Carr to throw a sort of desperation can, can I, pick. Before, to before we it. get off that Kelsey touchdown, can I rant for a second? Please. That's what this podcast is really about, is both of us just ranting about football, so feel free. Okay, part of the reason why the Raiders' defense cannot stop Kansas— I mean, they, quote-unquote, stopped Kansas City. Like, they held them to under 40, which is—that's a decent day. (laughs) Yeah, ring the bell. It's Kansas City. (laughs) Ring the bell. It's a decent day. And, And this game was defined by three or four plays going one direction or the other. That's why I hope we get a rematch in January. I want a part three, because each one of these games— has been defined by three or four plays that wildly swung it. On, on that Kelsey touchdown, that was the fourth play that wildly swung that game. You had the, the Mullen pick, you had the angle drop, the Aguilar drop, and then that Kelsey touchdown. The reason why that happened, it was actually a good call uh, in, in terms of the defense they were in. They called quarters coverage in the red zone, and Pat did a Pat thing, and Abram fell for it for the millionth time, which is I'm rolling out to my right if I'm Patrick Mahomes. And the responsibility of Abram was to stay in that deep quarter zone and wait for Kelsey to get to the middle of the field. He's the number three receiver on the, on the passing strength of the formation. If you're in quarters and you're the backside safety, that is your guy. He's literally just supposed to sit in the end zone and stay next to Travis Kelsey. That's his only job. Instead, Pat rolled to the right and Abram, for some inexplicable reason again there's 30 seconds left in the game if he runs who cares who cares let him run just don't leave the end zone yeah there's five other guys up. that might get to there's him before five you five other guys he got sucked up because pat ran to the right kelsey just went right behind him he abdicated his responsibility easy touchdown like there's that whole picture of like nobody within 10 yards of kelsey mm-hmm. yeah because abram left He's not yep. supposed to leave. It's quarters coverage. The number three receiver is your responsibility. Yeah. That game, or rather that play, is 100% on Jonathan Abram falling for the same cheese that Mahomes gets people on every single time, which is I'm going to run to the right, I'm going to draw the defenders, and then throw back to the left. He does it every single fucking week, and people always fall for it. And Abram, at this point, you're in his division. You know what he does. You should not be falling for that, and he still did it anyway. Yeah, this is the it's a two sided coin with Abram. And this is a tough L for me to take because I I like Abram and I I think he's a good player for what he is. I really liked him coming out of the draft. Like you can go back and look at my draft takes on Jonathan Abram. I 
I think he's a very good player. I love the fire he plays with. He is one of those sergeant, uh, JB coined this agent of chaos safeties, right? Guys that can come up and just mess things up. Chaos and, for his own team, maybe. Yeah, well, he can make it for the other team too, but that's the thing. It's a double-edged sword. You're going to have to take both because he's going to bite, right? It's he. Jonathan Abram is never going to be... Uh, called the puppy that can't bite right in the old parcels if they don't bite when they're puppies they're not going to bite when they're dogs like jonathan abram has been biting since he was a puppy and he is always going to bite and sometimes that's going to work out for the raiders and he's going to light up the opposition and sometimes it's not going to work out for the raiders right he's going to take the cheese that mahomes gives and kelsey is going to be like damn near lonely in the end zone so it it sort of is what it is with jonathan abram i hope that he learns from it. Uh, I, you know, I love what he brings when he brings, but it's because he brings it. And look, off, you know, opposing offensive coordinators know that, and they're absolutely going to pull his chain. And it's going to be his job in the future to go, nope, I really want to do that. I really want to go up there and light that guy up and get some contact. But my job is dot, dot, dot. <laughs> to not do yeah. that ever. Oh, God. That game was so frustrating. Again, because, I mean, it was a well-played game. There was mistakes on both sides. There was great plays on both sides. But, like, if I'm a defensive coach and I see I see the game come down to that, and it's like, if you're going to get beat, at least get beat. Don't just do something stupid and give it yeah, to him. Don't just free. hand it to him. And, yeah. honestly, we don't talk about it, but Casey did the same thing. Like, earlier in the game, Carr on, that drive, on the drive that ends in the touchdown to Waller, like, Waller was wide open. The Chiefs busted the coverage on Waller, and Carr went, oh, sure, like, I've been doing the hard thing all game. You're going to give me the easy thing? Oh, yeah, that's mine. And, you know, tosses, literally tosses a ball to Waller, who is alone in the end zone. The Chiefs all kind of look around like, ah, was he yours? No, oh, bummer. So it happened on both sides. It happened to happen late in the game, so the whole sort of national audience saw it. And, you know, the Chiefs get a win out of it as well. So... Like you said, really interesting. I'm glad the rivalry is back. I'm glad both teams are playing at an extremely high level. Like you said, it's good for the NFL when this is a good matchup. And this was two, I don't want to say superpowers. The Chiefs certainly a superpower. The Raiders wanting to sort of ascend from a power to a superpower. Um, Toe-to-toe, the whole game came down to, you know, late drives and who got it done. And you almost feel like they didn't lose. They just ran out of time is a is a very apt description of the Raiders in this game. Yeah, I think we're going to get a rematch in January, and I can't wait. It's, yeah, that would it's going to be that would so be good. Primetime TV for sure. 100%. And before we move on to the rest of the games from the week, I do want to take a moment to thank our sponsor for the day, and that's Manscaped, the best and most complete collection of products out of any men's grooming brand out there. As you know, I've personally used them for years because they've sponsored me for a long time, both on YouTube and on the podcast now. So you all know them by now, but if you want to finally try them out for yourself, or if you're looking for some gift ideas for friends or family, Manscaped has their biggest promotion of the year going on right now for Black Friday, where they're offering 25% off plus free shipping on your entire order just by using promo code BLACKFRIDAY at manscaped.com. I've had multiple iterations of their famous lawnmower body trimmer over the years, and their newest one, the Lawnmower 3.0, is by far their best one yet. 
It's waterproof. It has a replaceable ceramic blade with their skin safe technology so that you don't get all those painful nicks and cuts. It's got a really powerful 9,000 RPM motor as well to cut through even the thickest of body hair. I use it every single week and I also use their nose hair trimmer, the Weed Whacker, every single week as well. Or if you're not in need of any new trimmers right now, but you still want to up your grooming game or give the gift of something that smells good to somebody else, Manscaped also has a wide variety of excellent colognes, body washes, deodorants. They all smell fantastic and leave your skin and hair feeling amazing. Pro tip, by the way, get the body wash. It's awesome. It smells incredible. It's probably my favorite smelling body wash that I have in the shower and honestly my favorite smelling body wash that I've ever had. So highly, highly recommend that. So if you're interested in either the Lawnmower 3.0 or the Weed Whacker or any of Manscaped's other great grooming products, head on over to manscaped.com and use promo code BLACKFRIDAY for 25% off your order plus free shipping. Again, that is promo code BLACKFRIDAY at manscaped.com for 25% off your order and free shipping. And with that being said, EJ, let's get into fourth and long here, dive into all these remaining games. We'll start off with Lions-Panthers, which saw uh, P.J. Walker making his debut as a starter. Pretty favorable defense for anybody to make their first start against, uh, but he did throw kind of a rough pick to Amani Oruarie in the end zone. Really, really good teaching tape for any young corners that listen to this podcast on how to midpoint two receivers. And when I say midpoint, I mean kind of stick in between two receivers. You see it a lot in cover three corners where they kind of have to midpoint a seam route and a go ball down the sideline, make a quarterback choose, and then float under one of those options. Uh, Here he was playing the flat and the corner route behind him. Uh, I guess you could call it smash in the end zone. It's it's kind of a restricted smash because they were throwing it from like the five-yard line. But still, uh, the fact that he could midpoint the flat and the corner behind him and then you actually made a good note when you when you showed me this play of he actually broke on the corner route to pick it off before Walker even threw it because he knew, hey, if I bait that I'm staying over this flat, I know he's going to throw that corner behind me, so I'm just going to get moving now. And he just exploded to it, got there in time, picked it off. Really good play from the young corner, uh, Oruwarie, who's having a pretty good second year. Uh, you could argue he's having a better year than their top pick, Jeff Akuda. Um, but yeah, great pick from Oruarie and a little bit of a, a little bit of a rough first start for PJ Walker. Yeah, I you know I will forever hold it against Carolina that they took both the starter Teddy and the backup Walker. I wanted to end up on the Bears, but uh, that's neither here nor there. The reason I highlighted the Oruarie play is we both liked him as a corner coming out of Penn State. This is a great play. He's he's sort of on on an island, no man's land, in between two routes, whatever you want to call, and he decides. Look, if they throw that ball to the flat, I think I can come back and try and make a play on it. But if they throw the one to the corner and I'm not there, that's a touchdown. So he decides just a tick before Walker throws it. Look, this is the higher risk route and I'm going for it. He takes that first step. That first step is all he needs. He gets in front, picks it off. It's a tremendous job. I don't even really think it's debatable that he's having a better season than Akuda. Akuda's at a much rougher rookie go than I think either one of us thought he was going to have. Um, but Oruarie's play should not be overlooked. They lose Darius Slay in the offseason, and Oruarie has stepped in and taken most of the number one receivers for most of the year. And that's turned out to be a pretty good decision for the Lions. Generally, their defense has not been great, but uh, don't paint it with a broad brush and miss what he's doing at the corner position. Yeah, if you told me the secondary with 
Amani Oruarie, who again, we liked as a prospect, but the fact that he was in there with, you know, Desmond Trufant and Jeff Okuda, that he would be, you know, far and away their best corner. Uh, I, that's not something that I saw coming, but he's having a pretty nice season. Has he been elite? No, but again, uh, he's he's been their, their best corner. And I think uh, if and when Matt Patricia gets fired, if you get another coaching staff in there, uh, I think we're only going to see his stock go up. Same thing with Jeff Okuda. I, I truly think that uh, it's it's less about the talent they have at corner <laughs> because both those guys are really talent. I think there's something else going on there. Uh, we'll wink, just wink, leave nudge, that nudge. one be. And yeah, and please, we'll, Lions, we'll don't fire Matt <laughs> Patricia. I know Lions fans will hate that. Uh, but as a Bears fan, it'd be really handy if you left him in place for like another year. <laughs> oh, God. But uh, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about something positive, and uh, that's Brian Burns, who's quickly developing into one of the best edge rushers in the league. I think you could argue he's top five at minimum, and he ain't five. I'll just say that he's been monstrously productive this year, really showing all the traits that we saw when he was coming out of Florida State: the bend, the burst, packaging with a little bit more power than I think we expected as well. But uh, he's, he's looking a lot like he's not quite Jason Taylor. He's not quite Vaughn Miller somewhere in between in terms of frame, but with the bend and the burst and the little bit of extra length and everything like that, he's, he's kind of a weird amalgamation between those two guys, but he's been hugely productive this year because of those traits. And again, second year player, he's, he's only going to go up. Yeah. He had Decker's number in this game and on the TV tape, I said, wow, that was just a great dip move. And then uh, I think it was Brandon Thorne said that uh, it was a stutter ghost move and he had the all 22. And it's exactly that. Brian's, Brian Burns comes, looks like he's going to come inside, makes a really quick jab step to get Taylor's momentum sort of neutral or stalled in the middle so that he gets his weight off his right foot and can't push to the outside. And then just dips under him for the ghost move. Basically doesn't even get touched, but he does it so fluidly that he is on Stafford before Stafford has a chance. This is at the top of the fourth quarter if you want to go look at it. And Burns just nails him. Uh, Burns has been doing it all year. It, this is another great example. Yeah, it was one of those where like on first viewing, if you're just watching on TV, you're like, oh, he came unblocked. And it's like, no, he beat the block so thoroughly, he looked unblocked. That's how damn fast he beat Decker on that play. He's Oh, I missed the time frame. so good. Yeah, it's 7.45 left to go in the fourth quarter. He had one at the top of the fourth quarter, but that's not the one we were talking about. That stutter ghost move, 7.45 left in the fourth quarter, if you want to look it up on tape. It looks like Decker is clueless on this one. He just whiffs because, again, he buys that little stutter step, that half stutter step, and Burns is down and under and around him so quickly that Stafford never really has a shot on this one. And the line gets to him again. The Panthers' defensive line in this one really made a difference. Yeah, and uh, speaking of young Panthers defenders showing up, we got another bootleg shot of the week nominee, and that's Jeremy Chin crushing Marvin Jones. He was a number three receiver inside uh, early in the game. It was like first two minutes of the game. They ran a flood concept. Uh, He caught the corner route, 20-yard gain. First guy misses the tackle. Chin was playing free safety. He's kind of floated in between linebacker and safety throughout this year. So he's deep as a free safety, sees the tackle, gets missed. And when Chin really wants to accelerate, I mean, he moves. He, He brought all 230 pounds of his frame 
Again, he's a legit 4-4 guy. Exploded through Jones. I'll just say violently escorted him out of bounds. Great hit. Uh, Even though it was a 20-yard gain, I got to nominate it for shot of the week because he crushed Marvin on the boundary. Yeah, and like you said, as soon as he decides he's electric, and the question the question that I had about him was how quick can he get that decision to match his physical skills? He's done it very, very quickly. He did it really from the start of the year. Credit to the Panthers coaches for getting him to trust what he was seeing and just trigger. And when he triggers, there was no doubt about that in the scouting process. Incredibly quick, incredibly athletic, brings a load and... Boy, Marvin Jones knows it at this point because he runs right through him. Yeah, just so many exciting young defensive players in the Panthers. Uh, I'm really, really excited to see where they're at in a couple years. Uh, That being said, let's go to our next game, Bengals at the Washington football team. And, of course, we got to start out talking about Joe Burrow. Um, This injury sucks, man. I feel the same way about it that I did when Dak uh, had his ankle broken. It just sucks. The league is a better place with Joe Burrow in it. He was having such a good rookie year. One of the better rookie years for a quarterback we've seen, especially considering the circumstances. He was getting lit up every single week because of his really bad pass protection in front of him. Chase Young uh, had a bootleg shot of the week in this game, too, where you know Burrow was out of the pocket. This was before he got hurt, obviously. Uh, Burrow was out of the pocket, and Chase just runs him down like a cheetah running down a gazelle except if a cheetah was 260 pounds and full of anger uh just crushed him right before the goal line popped the ball loose uh and unfortunately for burrow that was not the first time he got hit like that this season he got hit over and over and over again and eventually it it just it caught up to him he got tagged in a a really awkward spot uh offense or yeah i think it was a left guard got kind of pushed into his knee as he planted, completely caved it in. It uh, it just, it sucks because I think everybody saw this coming. Everybody says, oh, it's a freak play. It can happen to anybody. Well, yeah, but if if you are if you have a bad offensive line, your odds of it happening go up. And this was what we were I was going to say, of. yeah, if you give me 50 chances to get massacred, the, somebody's like, man, you keep getting hit like that. You're going to get injured. Yeah, well, don't let me keep getting hit like that. And we've said this over and over again, that the Bengals need to put a line in front of them, that, you know, their inability to be in on sort of every bit of offensive talent, that offensive line talent that came free this year is negligent at best. And they were playing with fire. They knew it. It wasn't like... Uh, hey, these guys are playing better than we thought, and Burrow's staying upright more. No, Burrow was going down every week, and he was getting hit really hard. Uh, even the game he was mic'd up, he was like, "Wow, you know, I gotta, I gotta figure that out, right? I can't keep doing that." Yeah, and you knew it was coming. That doesn't make it any better. It's an egregious injury. It's really bad. Uh, his knee got hit just the way you don't want to hit a knee hard from the outside and pushed inward. Um, the the thing that makes it even more more worse is that look burrow was playing great as he has typically in this game he starts off with gorgeous touch to drew sample down the sideline on the first drive um throws a sideline scalpel to aj green who's not had the best year earlier in the game and i just made the note knowing i won't see another one this year makes me want to cry Um, and then he throws a remarkable TD before he gets knocked out of the game to green. Like Burrow was in the grasp. Speaking of getting hit a lot, he was literally in the grasp and throws a dart to green for a touchdown. 
Play didn't get whistled dead. It's just a super bang-bang play. It's the kind of play that Joe Burrow can make because of all the things we've said about him that make him so great. And it is a shame that we don't get to see any more Joe Burrow. And it's a shame for Bengals fans because uh, we need to talk about Ryan Finley a little bit. He came in. uh, He didn't look terribly prepared. He had a rough, rough day. He did not have a great clock in his head. He ended up getting sacked four times after Burrow was knocked out of this game. Um, was was not a good look. So Bengals fans went from being at least, hey, we have something interesting and, and hopeful to watch every year because Joe can kind of will us to some victories in close games to uh, may, maybe next year, which is a familiar thing for Bengals fans, but it's still, it's just such a bummer. I think it became very clear um, by the end of that game that Joe Burrow was the only thing keeping that team alive. I, I w- when you watch Finley play, yeah, and this for is, sure. Like Ryan Finley, nothing against him. We like him, <laughs> but it's not. It's not the same thing. It's just no, not. No. There's a reason you draft Joe Burrow number one overall, and he showed that reason every week, multiple times. There were multiple plays every week for the Bengals that you were like man, that play doesn't get made if Joe Burrow's not in there. Like anybody besides Joe Burrow, probably not making that play. Um, Certainly not anybody from the rookie class. Maybe save Justin Herbert. We'll talk about him in a bit. But Burrow, clearly special. Clearly the Bengals have their answer at quarterback, and they just didn't match the offensive line to it quickly enough. And now they're going to be without him for likely about a year multiple ligaments in that knee that's a tough injury i'm not saying joe burrow won't come back if anybody can come back from a knee injury it's joe burrow because he is wildly competitive i you know we wish him the best we hope for a great surgery and and a quick recovery but it's going to be nine to twelve months before he's at his peak um, and sort of ready to run again and because this injury happened later in the season that means no training camp uh probably the first six seven games at best of next year are going to go burrowless and that's just it's just sad so we're going to talk about something slightly happier antonio gibson who we talked up a bunch on our rookie recap last week he's good he's making us look good right he had two weaving runs through traffic on the same drive to drive washington down into scoring position then they end up scoring on a pass from uh alex smith to cam sims and I wanted to highlight it because it wasn't Antonio Gibson's scoring play, but he absolutely caused it. Rookie running backs need to protect their quarterback. We just talked about why protecting quarterbacks is so important. Antonio Gibson makes a massive block in pass protection. He has the right side, gets a free rusher, and just stones the guy. That gives Alex Smith enough time to find Cam Sims in the end zone. That touchdown was set up by Antonio Gibson and ensured by Antonio Gibson. The arrow is just so pointing up for Antonio Gibson. We've seen the rushes start to come together. He's got the receiving skills. Knowing he can block on top of that, Washington's got a great one in Antonio Gibson. Yeah, he and Zach Wilson are going to be pretty fun next year, huh? (laughs) Zach Wilson, the... uh... BYU quarterback that every single Bears fan, including EJ, is desperately praying to the uh, Holy Trinity to fall in Chicago's lap. But I'll tell you what, I don't think he's making it. 
because I think Washington's looking at him right now. And... No, I I don't think he's making it either. We'll we'll talk about that at length and many times. But uh, he's uh, yes, Mr. Wilson's shown a great many things this season at BYU that are probably going to get him drafted very highly before the Bears can do anything. But right. I I just I think of Antonio Gibson and I'm like, man, get him a good offensive line and a good quarterback, and that dude can carry an offense. He's so athletic. So versatile. We haven't even seen him be put on full display as a receiver, which keep in mind, he played wide receiver in college. He didn't start playing running back to the last couple games full time. Uh, you know, clearly he's getting better as a blocker. Like that's that's the kind of young, cheap, high upside talent that you can build an offense around. And I swear you get him some good run blocking and you get him a good quarterback. Uh, he's he's going to make a lot of waves in this league. Love Antonio Gibson. Uh, now, somebody already making waves in the league. Let's go to Jets Chargers and talk about Justin Herbert, who, oh my God, EJ, this kid is... This is the throw, man. <laughs> I swear to God, oh, man. If, if Herbert stays on course, and his course is historic, make no mistake, he's had more three-touchdown games than any rookie quarterback in NFL history. Like, if he keeps on this pace... Justin Herbert is is going places and and places that give out gold jackets. Like, yes, that's a very early thing to say about a guy like eight nine games into his career. Justin Herbert has that kind of talent. He's shown it uh, very early. But there is one throw. It's a touchdown throw to Keenan Allen, five thirty nine in the third quarter. This is Good the God. definition of a rope. When somebody talks about a rope or a frozen rope or just a flat-out rocket, like, this is the throw. I rewound this throw at least three times and went, nah. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> nah. Like, Keenan Allen is literally standing in the back of the end zone. He's not even really running around. He's kind of run his route, and he's, he's just posting up for the most part. He's just standing there. And he's literally bracketed by two defenders. Two defenders are within arm's length of him when Herbert lets the ball go. Like, he is, in NFL parlance, covered. And Herbert unleashes just this rocket. It is completely level. It has no arc. And it it literally hits Allen. All he has to do is catch it. He basically got in the way of it. This was not a great catch. <laughs> this was a, holy crap, I didn't think he could get it there that fast. And something happened that I've never seen before. The two defenders looked at it, looked at each other, and high-fived. The guys that just got beat for a <laughs> touchdown, high-fived. They were like, we played our defense, man. There's nothing we can do about that because nobody can throw that ball. And Herbert just whistled it in there. Lamar Jackson, uh, the corner for the Jets, he literally was touching Keenan Allen when that ball got released. He was underneath him, touching him, like not sort of close to him, like he was in phase, in perfect position, and Keenan just like stopped moving, and the ball just whizzed into his chest. And Lamar Jackson, again, not the quarterback Lamar Jackson, the corner Lamar Jackson, who's different guy, I know kind of confuses people. Uh, Marcus May came up to him and was like, buddy, I, I, I got nothing for you. Not your fault. It just happens. <laughs> not not your, fault. your fault. You were like, there. <laughs> uh, so anyways, we've talked a lot about Herbert, but go look at that throw. Herbert, we already know is special, but that is a different level of special. There are about two or three guys in the NFL and quite frankly, the world that can make that throw. It is... It's yeah. special. If you don't know what the definition of a special throw is, go look at that one. 
not many people can make that throw. So on the Jets side, Flacco has shown a couple things, and he had a beautiful deep ball to Brashard Perryman for a great arcing TD down the field. Flacco has unleashed some good-looking deep balls since he's come in after Darnold got injured. Um, but it's not Perriman I want to talk about. It's Denzel Mims because he had a beautiful grab along the sidelines. Then he had another beautiful sideline side grab. And then he had another one. And people are starting That's to what he get does. to see what we saw in him at the Senior Bowl. Why we came away raving about Denzel Mims and saying that he was going to be so talented. That's uh, starting to, to happen for him at the Jets, which is impressive considering the Jets' offense. But... This is the kind of thing, and I wanted to highlight down the stretch. I, I know your team may be out of it. My team is certainly looking like they're out of it. The Jets are most certainly out of it. This is the kind of thing you watch for down the stretch with young players. Who's figuring it out? Who's getting more time? Who's the game slowing down for? Guys that maybe had a slower start or didn't get as many opportunities are going to start to get more opportunities as the, as the hey, we're not going to win anything sets in. Um, and Denzel Mims is right there. He's starting to get his opportunities. He's starting to make the most of them. Two other guys that fit that profile, Isaiah Simmons, more playing time, a lot more playing time in the last three weeks, a lot more plays in the last three weeks. And Jonathan Taylor, guy that's gotten playing time since early on with Indy, but had a really good week this last week, started to figure out, hey, I've got a really good offensive line in front of me. I know what they're doing now. I can be patient and then explode with that sprinter speed at my size. Had a really nice game. And be watching for this down the stretch. These are the guys that are going to have breakout sophomore campaigns that maybe didn't have the best rookie season. They were okay, but are really going to explode onto the scene. And they're showing you the clues right now. Mims is one. Simmons is one. Taylor is another. There's a bunch of guys out there that haven't necessarily gotten enough time or enough looks. They're going to start to get those down the stretch, and if you pay attention, they're going to be easy to pick out. If and when the Jets get Trevor Lawrence, which it's looking like they are the heavy favorites to do so, Trevor Lawrence throws a really good back shoulder fade, which is what Denzel Mims does better than most of the guys in this draft class. Uh, you know, In terms of just bullies on the boundary, the other guys that you'd put up in his class uh, for that would, would be T. Higgins, um, probably uh cd uh, C cd yeah i was blanking on his name like just you know big frame long arms and when lawrence and higgins worked together at clemson that was what they were really good at that's why the bengals took higgins in the first place because they're like hey we, we got joe burrow really good at throwing fades t higgins dominant receiver on fades so when lawrence and mims presumably work together next year i think that's going to be like automatic we're getting press coverage we're in a reduced split we're throwing a fade Give me the 15 yards because he is so dominant on those kinds of routes. Phenomenal body control, great hands, blocks his ass off too. Like he is a hardworking receiver, kind of in the Robert Woods mold, like different receiving skill sets. But in terms of like what they do on early downs, he blocks his ass off just like Robert Woods and all those other Rams receivers. I love Denzel Mims. I hope that uh, they do get Lawrence for his sake because Lawrence and him are a perfect fit together. Uh, you got Mackay Becton, who's a phenomenal left tackle. You know, there there are potentially some pieces here for a really good young Jets offense, but you need a new coach. You need more depth on the offensive line. You need a couple more weapons to complement Mims. And obviously you need that quarterback, hopefully, to fall to you as well. So there's potential here for the Jets. They still got a lot of work to do, 
But so far, so good for Denzel Mims. Really excited to see what he does. Yeah, and a Bryce Hall sighting. We were both super high on Bryce Hall. We gave him the Eddie Jackson Memorial Award for a defensive back that got hurt and dropped in the draft process. Bryce Hall, a <laughs> corner out of Virginia. Um, haven't seen a lot from him either. Uh, he's been sort of working his way into the lineup and just crushed out a Keenan Allen screen. It was just one play throughout the game. A lot of fans probably didn't even see it, but Bryce Hall, extremely physical, kind of in the Kyle Fuller mode and played that exactly the same way. Saw the screen, triggered on it, and just blasted Keenan Allen for like a two-yard loss on a screen. So Bryce Hall, keep your eye on him. We were both extremely excited about him. Ended up going to the Jets. Um, Another young talent that hopefully under a new coaching staff can develop into the player we thought that he could be. Yeah, so I, I there are there are a lot of things for Jets fans to look forward to. They just have to stomach the next month, you know, get through week seventeen. Adam Gase will get fired. You'll be you know first in line for Bienemy or Brady or Dable or whoever the hell you want to get. Because if you have the number one pick and you're getting Trevor Lawrence, believe it or not, that is an attractive job for a head coach. It, it doesn't seem like it right now, but it is. So just have faith, Jets fans. You're gonna be fine. Maybe, probably. <laughs> eventually. <end>. Just <laughs> eventually. Yeah. Just have faith. Once upon a time, the Patriots were a poverty franchise as well. So if they can dig themselves out of the mud and become one of the most dominant organizations in the history of American sports, who knows? Maybe the Jets can't do. Really? You just, you just brought up the Jets and the Patriots in the same breath after Belichick I'm doubled try- back. I, it's Thanksgiving. It's holidays. I I'm know. trying to be positive. I know, I'm but to give them Belichick doubled to. out on the Jets and went back to the Patriots. The Jets fans are not going to forgive you for that. So that that's all right. Let's talk about <sighs> yeah, yeah, let's talk anyway. about another team in the AFC East: the Dolphins versus the Broncos. Um, let's talk about the Broncos first. Another young quarterback, two young quarterbacks in this game. We've got Drew Locke, uh, one more year of experience than Tua, and Drew Locke opens up with a horrible pick like awful yeah and we know it's not the best situation his o-line is whittled down Cortland sutton's out for the year but i gotta say and i want to take your temperature on this my worry meter about drew lock is rising a little bit i'm not ready to proclaim judgment or say bust or didn't work or you need to draft another one or anything else but i gotta say i'm starting to see couple of things that i don't want to see from a young quarterback and i hate comps for those of you that listen to the podcast you probably know that if you listen to us through draft season if you're new to the podcast welcome thank you for listening and i hate player comps in the draft because they are fraught with peril like there are so many Mm -hmm. wrong things that can get attached to a comp and you really have to talk about the comp the player you're comping to when are you you know somebody says oh he reminds me of brett Favre." are you talking about like college brett Favre? are you talking about early career brett Favre with the falcons are you talking about early career brett Favre with the packers who was a you know a turnover machine and a loose cannon or are you talking about late career mvp like gold jacket brett Favre? so comps are fraught with a lot of things i don't like comps but in this case the most popular comp for Drew Locke coming out was Jay Cutler. And <laughs> we're starting <Yeah. laughs> to see some of those Cutler-like traits. Like, I'll cut it loose, and sometimes that's going to be amazing, and sometimes that's going to be a free pick for the opposition. And as a Bears fan, lived through a lot of Cutler, fully understand that profile. Some things are going to be great, but some weeks you're going to be like, what are you doing, man? And 
starting to see a couple of those similarities more closely than I would like out of Drew Locke. Where are you at on this? I made a film room earlier in the offseason. I think it was right before the season, actually, where I said, you know, Locke was doing okay, but my one complaint was that he wasn't aggressive enough. He wasn't pushing the ball down the field. I really wanted to see him, you know, not have like the 30th ranked deep ball attempt percentage, which was somewhere around there. I can't remember the exact number, but he was pretty low in the league in terms of attempting deep balls. Uh, and I was like, okay, he's, his chemistry with his receivers was kind of iffy, but I really want to see him be more aggressive because he was more aggressive in, a, in his first couple starts, and I felt like he played better. Now, kind of want him to dial back the aggressiveness a little bit. because <laughs> He listened you, to you, you Brett. Uh, it's your fault. <laughs> but I just, there's, there's being aggressive, and then there's being careless and he's he's crossed the line in the last couple of weeks for sure he's he's the first pick that he had uh that Xavier Howard got his sixth interception of the season but Xavier picked him off like they showed zero and then they backed out into cover three it was like third and ten something like that and so he's trying to fit this ball uh over the middle against cover three and Xavier's like literally or is it Xavier I just say Xavier yeah. Zavian. Uh, so he's sitting there in the hook zone in cover three and like probably didn't expect to get the ball and locked through it right to him. And like you could see like Zavian barely had to move. And I'm like, Drew, what are you doing, bud? Like it's it's a bail to cover three. Like you can you can see there's a deep safety. It's not zero. He's not all by himself. What are you doing? Like, I don't know. I literally don't know what he was looking at. Like, I can't really break it down because I don't know what he saw. Yeah, there's a couple of those throws both last week and this week where I said exactly that. Like, what did you see there? Like, why did you let that ball go? Like, what are you doing? And that's where I say the worry's starting to creep in. This is not a death sentence for Drew Locke. It's nothing he can't come back from. This is a don't keep doing that because that path goes where you don't want to go, Drew. Like, <laughs> that's that's not the yeah. thing. You need to you need to correct those mistakes. You need to learn from those. You can't just keep whipping them up. Uh, you're not gonna get those chances over and over again so let's pivot to the other young quarterback in this game Tua getting benched that was the big story Tua started off well um right after that Xavier Howard pick Tua takes the short field throws a nice little back shoulder to Parker in the end zone they get a touchdown woohoo looking good um starts to sort of stall throughout the mid portion of the game he's threading it to Parker but other than that he's not having a lot of a lot of success takes a big sack from demarcus walker drops them out of field goal range was a bad choice i was actually a little surprised by that because to his decision making has been lauded as one of his you know his top traits and it, it literally was coming out of alabama that was a that was a terrible choice he knew the one thing he couldn't do is take a sack and he absolutely just straight up took the sack um takes another sack later on doesn't look like it was his fault his left guard looked like he got stepped on um but and then Bradley Chubb comes in and nails him. The Miami line was doing him no favors, choking on stunts. Flowers just failed to come off his guy and pick it up. Yeah. But the bottom line is they pull two out of this game. They put Fitz in. Fitz gives him a little bit of spark, helps him be competitive. There's been a lot of talk about, well, you know, is it was it the right move to pull to it? Is it okay? Does this, you know, shatter a young QB's confidence? I'm, I'm like, well, if it shatters a young QB's confidence, you pick the wrong QB. But I don't think that's the case. I think it was the right decision, and I also think, which some people might seem see as contrarian, is it's totally fine to run him out there next week, right? 
as a young quarterback, if he's getting beat up, making bad decisions, costing the football team, and he's done it consistently for a couple of quarters, you don't necessarily just have to leave him in there to learn through it and, and just drive your chances into the ground. You can do it for two or three quarters like the Dolphins did and then say, ah, that's enough, right? You've made too yeah. many mistakes for the day. It's cool. Come back. We'll look at the, you know, the Microsoft surface on the sideline. We'll talk about some of those plays. We'll talk about some of the choices you made and other ones you could make. We're going to let we're going to let Fitz go out there and finish it out. And guess what? We're going to go back to the film room on Monday. You're going to get starter reps in practice. We're going to march you out there next week, and we're going to see if you can do it again. And that's okay in a quarterback's first year, right? That is part of the development process. It's all right. It's where the Dolphins are at. Everybody wants Tua to come in and be just like Justin Herbert. And the answer is, we just talked about it, nobody's like Justin Herbert. Like Historically, nobody's done that. Now, it's a nice fable, but you're going to have to work through it. I think two is going to be fine. I, I don't have any quote-unquote worries about him. Like, literally, this is third or fourth start. It's fine to give him enough rope and then finally say, hey, that's too much. We're going to we're gonna take a little punishment off your plate. The you know, line's not helping you out today. We're going to put you on the bench. We're going to put a veteran who knows this team in there, gives us a decent chance to you know compete for the rest of the game. And then we'll do the same thing next game. I think that's okay. I don't think that's yo-yoing. I think it's okay. Especially, you know, when you're at the time you're already six and three, like you're in contention for the division. I I I get the pressure to leave a guy in there, but you don't really have to. You like you have a capable backup in Fitzpatrick. You know, clearly he was having a little bit of trouble in terms of navigating away from the stunts, in terms of seeing the blitzes coming. Like, it, it was it was a rough day. Like, that's it just flat out. It was a rough, rough day. Uh, he was having a lot of struggles. If you have a veteran backup that you can throw in there to at least give you a spark, um, well, you kind of reset your young quarterback. And two is a mentally tough guy. Like, he's this is not going to ruin him. Like, there are some quarterbacks... You know, in their four start, they get benched. It, it might actually affect them mentally. I don't think it really will affect Tua. Like, keep in mind, remember, they were doing the back and forth uh, with him and Jalen Hurts. Like, he got replaced in a championship game by Jalen Hurts, and he was still fine, like, mentally. He's going to be okay. So I don't really worry for his mindset. It was the right thing to do. And especially if he's going back out and starting next week, he's going to be okay. Um, but I do want to talk about the guy that did replace Tua, Fitzpatrick, he got picked off by Justin Simmons late in that game. And I just want to take a moment to give Justin Simmons some shine because in terms of free safeties that know how to bait quarterbacks, that know how quarterbacks think, he's got to be up there with the best. I mean, he plays a lot. He doesn't have Earl's range, but he plays a lot like Earl Thomas in terms of knowing like, hey, if it's a if it's a three by one and I lean towards the single receiver side, like they call it a lean post technique. Normally in three in three by one, if you're the free safety, they call it a lean post where you're leaning, you're cheating towards the three receiver side. He actually set up pre-snap on the isolated receiver side, like he was doing a bracket, and like he was faking like uh every other uh receiver on the three receiver side was gonna be one on one on islands, no help. And then as soon as the ball was snapped, he sprinted over to the post because he knew that Fitzpatrick was going to see him cheating the other way and then try to fit a seam ball in on the other side. So he immediately took off and he's like, I, he's going to throw it to me. I know he's going to throw it to me. And of course, Fitzpatrick did 
stepped in front of it, picked it off in the end zone. And just that kind of demonstrates how smart Simmons is. So like, hey, if I give a quarterback this look, he's going to try to beat it. So I know exactly where I need to be. Again, he's a phenomenal player, one of the best free safeties in the league. I don't know if he got paid yet. I think he did. But if not, he's easily going to be one of those guys that you talk about resetting the safety market this this next offseason. Phenomenal player. Love Justin Simmons. Just wanted to give him a little shout out. Yeah, he absolutely deserves it. And love Simmons and his running mate at Boston College, John Johnson, was also really good. Plays for the Pretty Rams. Good. Um, yeah. You know, Boston College safeties, man. There's some some colleges that just produce uh, positions typically, and Simmons definitely does not get enough love. We don't need to double down on that. We've said it before, but if you want to mark us down as a Justin Simmons stand podcast, feel free. Uh, we're happy to do it. Another guy on the Broncos that we really love, Philip Lindsay. So much gas. He was injured a little bit earlier in the year. Just great burst on a couple of runs. Both Broncos running backs. Uh, Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon had great games in this particular game. Gordon did a little better short, but he had his fair long his share of long runs as well. Philip Lindsay though just looks like he really is hitting it on all cylinders right now. Want to call him out? He was a guy that I highlighted as a UDFA years ago, and said, you know, he's going to make somebody pretty happy. Um, I, I certainly, let's be honest, was not predicting this level of success, but I really liked him. And at that point, nobody I know was talking about Philip Lindsay. Like his name hadn't even been mentioned, and came in, had the phenomenal rookie year, um, and has continued. Right, has not sort of hit any kind of wall, and was wildly productive in this game. Another guy on the Dolphins side that we've called out multiple times this year, Van Ginkle, <laughs> causes a mm-hmm. fumble late in this game. He's just having one of those seasons, man. He's just making plays all over the Every place. Week. Andrew Van Ginkle is not a name that I don't think we mentioned him at all in our uh, divisional previews, uh, team previews, like none of that. And he's made a big difference for this defense. And it's just, I love stories like that in the NFL guy that nobody's counting on anything from and here he comes making a play every week has had a ton of impact impact plays so big shout out to van ginkle yeah he's just one of those kind of under the radar key contributors that every single week he makes one of those plays that either flips field position or generates a turnover you know gets you an extra possession something like that uh he's 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 a glue guy a classic glue guy where he's never going to get paid the most he's never going to be a star but when you look at the actual win-loss record at the end of the season, you can point out at least three or four plays that he made that happen. So, again, he's a classic glue guy for a roster. He's having a really good year. Uh, let's talk about Falcons Saints a little bit. We can't bury the lead. <laughs> yeah, We can't bury the lead. The lead going into this game was Taysom Hill, right? Taysom Hill. And there was either people that said Sean Payton is right or Sean Payton is crazy. Yep. And I was leaning towards the, I trust Sean Payton as a football coach, but I have my doubts about Taysom Hill. Uh, And Sean Payton, I think, can thumb his nose at the football world this week and say, oh yeah, you know my roster better than I do? Go ahead. Um, Sean Payton (laughs) is a great football coach. Lewis Riddick came out this week and said, talk football with Sean Payton for an hour and you will give him the benefit of the doubt in every football decision from that point on. And we got to see it, right? Everybody said, Hill won't be this, Hill won't be that, paying Hill was a mistake, blah, 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 blah. Like, Taysom Hill 
played easily well enough to win for the Saints this week. He throws some darts. Michael Thomas definitely helped him out. Michael Thomas, by the way, if you'd forgotten, still really good football player. Um, oh, is he? Yeah, yeah, you know, he's back, and you knew it right away as soon as he was back. He's one of those. Um, Hill showed poise, right? People bearing down on him, stepped up in the pocket, throws a beauty to Michael Thomas. Uh, he That poise, that patience in the pocket is something we talked about with Derek Carr earlier in the podcast. And, of course, everybody knows about his running ability. Like, he ran one easily in for the score after hesitation. He's really quick, gets another TD late in the game. Not that this is news to anyone. Taysom Hill is really quick. But, you know, sprints in for another touchdown. Great run on QB power. Uh, Fumbled it late and lost it. But, again, did enough things, a lot of things in this game, certainly, to put the Saints in a position to win. And I think the majority of the football world had their doubts about that. Um, Coming out of this one, you kind of got to go back and (laughs) sort of rescope that opinion. If you were a a true Taysom Hill hater, um, myself included, and say, ah, you know, you get Michael Thomas back. I think that guy's good enough to win at quarterback with the Saints going down the stretch. I'll tell you what, if he was a 22-year-old rookie that had that game, Everybody would think it was great, but it's because he's 30 plus and has never started before. So everybody assumes, well, if you're not starting after seven or six or seven years in the league, then you must be awful. It's like, well, no, he he, he was on a practice squad and then he got signed by the Saints and he was backing up Drew Brees and backing up Teddy Bridgewater. Like he had two really good quarterbacks ahead of him. Like, of course, he's not going to start. Now, I, of course, had my doubts because, again, a guy that we've never seen start before it's tough to like bank on that. And I, I remember him at BYU. He was exciting, uh, but he was also <laughs> good a guy adjective. That good hurt. adjective. <laughs> it was exciting, but he was a little bit of a roller coaster back then. Uh, and keep, I, I, wa- I watched him get hurt a lot at BYU. Like injuries were one of the things that kind of like followed him throughout his college career. So we were wondering, okay, if he's getting full snaps, how long is he going to last? Especially now that he's older, it's not like you suddenly become more injury resistant when you turn 30. Oh, so, God, I wish I, that was true, man. <laughs> All of a sudden, I, I know what I want for yeah, Christmas. God, I'm, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a heat wrap. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So, you know, we, we obviously had our doubts, but it's not like I thought he was going to be terrible. I just didn't know. And But if you have that game and you're a 22-year-old rookie, and if I saw that, it would be the same thing that I'm saying about Justin Herbert. It's like, okay, no, this dude's good. So I think it's the age that plays a factor in people doubting him. I think it's the injury history. But as he gets more snaps, as he gets more starts, assuming Drew's not going to be back for for a couple weeks, because, again, 11 rib fractures, tough oh to play God. on. Um, I, I think, again, if, if, if just going off this one game, I think Saints fans can be encouraged. It is the Falcons' defense, but I would still consider that an encouraging performance, and I'm excited to see what he does for the next couple weeks. Yeah, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go on record for two points here. One is I will never compare Taysom Hill to Justin Herbert because they are not the same. And Hill was still yes, a bit of a roller coaster you're right. in this you're one. Right. He had that crazy punt of a throw that Emmanuel Sanders caught on a you can call it a comeback, but I think that's incredibly generous. Uh, a fair catch is a is a better way to say what Sanders did with that reception. And the other one is holy. 
God, 11 fractured ribs. The number has kept going up. First it was five, then it was eight. Now it's 11. He has them on both sides. Coming from a guy that has fractured ribs, uh, multiples, yes, on both sides. I've done both sides. I did two on one side, and then I did three on another, and then I did three on that same side later on. Long story. We don't need to get into it. Were you biking? 11 f- um, for a couple of them, yes. Yeah, that's what I figured. I, yeah. <laughs> 11 fractured ribs on both sides. Like, look, when you fracture your ribs on one side, it's a nightmare. It's extremely painful. You can't do anything about it. There's no way to... All you can do is wrap them, right? You can make it tight so you don't breathe in a lot because that's the kicker. When you breathe in and your rib cage expands with broken ribs... It hurts like crazy. It feels like people are driving knives into your sides. It's really, really rough. So you don't sleep well pretty much for weeks until they start to heal because as soon as you get to a comfortable position, if you can, you fall asleep and you breathe deeply and uh, you wake up again. <laughs> and it's a nightmare. It's a, a 11 spread about on both sides. I don't even know how you would make it through that. Like that is a, a lot of ribs to fracture and B there is no comfortable position. Let's make that really clear for Drew Brees. It's not on his back. It's not on either side. It's not on his stomach. The guy is probably sleeping in a recliner. It's, it's a rough set of injuries. So all these people are like, Oh, I can't wait till he gets back for the playoffs. I'm like, um, eh." you know, that's tough to come back from. And I didn't have 300 pound guys that wanted to jump on me as soon as I was ready to go back to work. So that's a, that's a rough, rough deal, but we need to talk about the flip side of that. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and and the risk is if you do get landed on with even, you know, if it's still not fully healed and you get landed on by a guy, that's when you risk punctured lung. Punctured lung, not fun. And he already had one of those, which is a horrendous injury in all of mine. I was lucky enough to never do that. Um, but you know, that's just on top of it. So all these people that are like slathering at the bit to have Drew Brees right back, you know, getting pounded by 300 pound defensive tackles. I'm like, man, take a breath because he can't right now. Like he literally can't breathe fully. Um, so it's tough, but we're going to flip it around to the saints pass rush and they got after it in this one, seven sacks. When cam Jordan got in on the act, they ended up with eight total, the Saints pass rush is coming around. They have a lot of talented athletes on that defensive line. Cam Jordan leads that group, but he is by far not the only one. And they got after the Falcons defensive line. It was a big difference in this game. Eight sacks is a lot of stalled drives, a lot of wasted plays, and it was certainly a difference in this game. Yeah, I mean, people wonder, you know, it's like, how how are the Falcons with all these talented receivers and everything, Like, how are they only putting up nine points? And it's like, well... If you're constantly in third and 13 because your quarterback's flat on his ass, you're not going to score that many points. So the Saints definitely won this game on defense. They won it with Taysom Hill doing enough, as we said, with his legs and with his arm. Uh, He was not punished too brutally for his mistakes. That moonshot to Sanders is obviously one that's worthy of being brought up. Uh, He wasn't punished, and they did enough punishing themselves on defense to win this game. And I think, uh, let's see, who, who are they playing next? Let me look this up real quick, uh, just because I'm curious. So right now, oh, okay. Interestingly enough, they're playing against Drew Locke this year, who <laughs> is not playing as well as maybe we hoped for at the beginning of the season. So if that pass rush shows up again, 
<laughs> could be, a little, and then they play against the Falcons again. So it could be a lot of sacks for the Saints in the next couple weeks. I'm very excited to see that. And then, oh man, then they get Carson Wentz right after that. Oh man. Okay. Oh boy. So for your fantasy playoffs, go get the Saints defense. Just saying. <laughs> Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, anyway, moving on to Eagles Browns. Speaking of Carson Wentz, he's. I don't want to say he's broken. broken? I don't want to say broken. he's broken. He's broken. <sighs> it, it doesn't mean he'll never be fixed again. But right now, I mean, we just talked about Drew Brees being broken in a physical way. Carson Wentz is broken, possibly in a physical way, definitely in a mental way, and he is. He is a liability right now he he is a gamer we've talked about this all year long he will absolutely compete to the last whistle and that is admirable but he is a part of the problem right now that pick six to Taki Taki was 100% on him and I know people say well you know as a corner blitz there's he got pressure he got hit as he threw they were showing quarters the number two receiver against a safety that's 15 yards off against quarters who's breaking out and short that was Rager who I don't know if he was running like a fade or a rail route or whatever the hell he was running either way there was space you know if you if you again if you get a quarters look and your receiver is running short whatever direction he's running whatever route he's running throw him the ball because the safety is not going to get there he's not going to cover 10 yards of ground in a half a second just throw it back shoulder take the free yards it was first and 10 if I remember correctly and he held it held it held it like he was trying to read what he was looking at and then he eventually tried to check it down when he realized he was too late to throw it to Rager and it's like come on dude like it's quarters it's not that complicated just throw it to the number two <laughs> that's how you beat quarters especially on first down they're giving you free yards just take it and I, then he got hit I saw right. something that landed with me about Carson Wentz and I can't remember who posted it might have been Bill Barnwell but I could easily be miscrediting that and he said does anybody else feel like most of Carson Wentz's interceptions are when he meant to press the A button, but he actually just tapped it. <laughs> and looking at this game, that landed, man. I felt that tweet. I was like, oh, oh, yeah. Because uh... it totally does. It totally looks like he meant to drive the ball, and he loops it instead, and whoops, it's a pick six to Taki Taki. So, uh, yeah, I, Carson Wentz is not great. We could have a long discussion about whether or not it's Jalen Hurts' time. I don't think it would be a lot worse at this point. It, it's not a, a lessening. Um, the, saying that the Eagles are getting very inconsistent quarterback play is kind. I mean, he almost threw another pick later in the game, too, because it's not just a mental thing. It's a it's a mechanics thing, too. Like, he has a real bad tendency to pigeon-toe his front foot. And what I mean by that is kind of traditional quarterback footwork is you when you're stepping into the throw, you point your front toe at your target because that helps you open up your hips so you in- increase velocity, uh, and it also helps your release point. If you open the front toe to the target, Generally speaking, you're going to be able to hit that target a lot easier. He tends to pigeon toe it where his front toe is pointed. He's a right-handed quarterback, so I guess you could say it's pointed to his right, which means he has to over-rotate his hips to compensate and actually be able to hit the target that's in front of him. It's kind of a mechanical thing that he's always had that's been an issue. Same thing with overstriding, means he's stepping too far and overstriding into his throw, which can also lock the hips and screw with your release point. 
And he almost threw a pick again in the fourth quarter. It was like, again, first and 15, because for whatever reason, he always tries to get everything in one bite. He's trying to hit uh, Ward on a flood concept, so he's throwing the deep corner route. Doesn't open his toe to the target. And because of that, he throws it behind Ward, and the pick got dropped. But it was one of those things that I noted it down when I saw it, of like, if he just opened his toe, if he threw it with good mechanics, which we've seen him do before, even this season... He'd be able to hit these deep shots, but he's mechanically all over the place. He's slow in terms of processing coverages. Um, In terms of his physical ability, he's not as fast as he used to be, so he thinks he can get away with rolling rolling out away from pressure when he can't. It's just, it's all a mess, and uh, should you bench him? Probably. Will they? No, because they've already said they're not going to, but... They're playing against the Seahawks on Monday night, who are objectively a bad defense. If you can't even score on Seattle, I'm sorry, you're done. Like, you got to put in Hurts at that point. Because, again, if you can't score on Seattle, if you can't move the ball against the Seahawks, you're not moving it, period. And at that point, it would be time to see what Jalen Hurts has. Because right now, I'm not seeing it with Carson Wentz. Yeah, and if Dunlap comes in and racks him a couple of times, because, boy, the Dunlap trade looks really good for Seattle... Uh, it's going to be Jalen Hurts' time maybe even sooner. Um, yeah. Some positives that come out of this game. Nick Chubb, we've said it before, he's back from injury. We'll do it again. He's a beast. He is the best pure runner in the league right now as a running back. And if you doubt it, check out his big run. 10.30 left in the fourth quarter. Showed all the traits there. So much power, speed, acceleration, vision, balance. You name it, Nick Chubb is flush with it. He is a tremendously fun running back to watch. I particularly subscribe to running back porn. That's my particular (laughs) scouting bent. Um, Love watching running backs. And watching Nick Chubb, especially when Wyatt Teller is in the Browns offensive lineup, he is having a great year at guard. And the two of those guys are linchpinning the Browns' ground attack and are so fun to watch from a just foundational running game basics perspective and then Chubb doing sort of extraordinary things on top of that. Um, Nick Chubb, if you like the running game, pay attention to what he's doing. It is phenomenal. On that big run, by the way, um, did you see that stiff arm he put on Alex Singleton? Oh yep. my god. Early in the run, just Ugh. just drove him down. And like a lot of people don't think Nick Chubb is really big. Nick Chubb is built like a brick shit house. He is incredibly solid. We we see runners of all types, right? Derrick Henry has a very specific profile. Uh we see little scat back runners who we really like. We see guys in the middle. Um you know, there are muscular guys, there are more wiry guys. It doesn't matter. Like, they're all types that succeed at running back. Nick Chubb is a solid dude and showed it on that play. Just an immediate right-hand stiff arm driving the guy into the turf and didn't lose any speed doing it. That's the thing I no. love about Nick Chubb. It's the little <laughs> thing, right? It's yeah. Some guys would take all their effort and sort of take two steps and drive that guy into the turf and then get caught by the guy that's trailing. Nope, Nick Chubb, one step, half step, drives that guy into the turf and accelerates through it and just picks up a whole shit ton of yards after that. So, um no, Nick Chubb is a phenomenal runner. We don't need to say it again, but we will because it's fun. Yeah, God, he's so good. So, so good. Uh, let's keep it in the AFC North. Let's talk about Steelers-Jags. 
Uh, your boy Robinson still churning out yards week after week, making after us week. look good for the for the profile on the rookie preview. Right again, a UDFA a guy we both had ranked as a sort of late round choice, sort of between the tackles type. He's shown way more diversity than that, way more dynamism than that, especially in the passing game. But let's be honest, the Steelers defensive front is a really difficult defense to run against. Like if you're in fantasy and your team is, you know, your running back is going against the Steelers, you might think about benching him. Robinson with a not great offensive line, like an okay offensive line down there in Jacksonville, still just churning out yards. It's a credit to his talent. He is... uh, I think much better than we thought he was. Yeah. I mean, averaging over four yards a carry versus the Steelers in general is a feat. Like I know they had, you know, only three points on the day because they're the Jags and Jake Luton or Luton or Luton, however you pronounce it. It's Luton. Luton. I mean, four picks. It's tough for tough for a single running back to overcome that. But individual performance wise, uh, I felt like Robinson had one of the better days versus the Steelers that any running back has had all year long. So credit to him. Uh, and then speaking of Luton again, man, those, I, 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 I think it's time that we acknowledge that whether it's Minshew mania, whether it's, you know, Luton, Palooza, whatever Jags fans were calling it, uh, when he had his encouraging start in his first, in his first start against, uh, Houston, the, the quarterback of the future is not on this roster. You better hope the jets win a game. So you have a shot at Lawrence, um, but they, they just don't did have you one. Hear, did you hear who they're starting this week? Glennon, right? Yep. Yeah. They just <laughs> If you're starting Mike Glennon at this done. point in his career, yeah. the answer is you don't have a quarterback. Like, period. Yeah. That's the answer. I just I feel bad for Jags fans because three years ago, they were in the AFC Championship game, had one of the most promising young rosters in the league, Everybody was still cheap, you know. You had you had still had hope that you were going to be able to keep Allen Robinson because it was like, oh, we made the AFC Championship game without Allen Robinson. He tore his ACL in the second week. We're going to be fine. And now, looking back on that team, how many starters do they still have? Three, maybe. Yeah, the team's cleaned house. They've gone through you know coaching change. Like I get it all, but again, if you put so. So say they don't get the top pick at quarterback. Say they pick up Justin Fields, right? I, I'm fine with that. They have their running back. Um, you know, they have a serviceable tight end. They have a sneaky good wide receiver core, right? It's not just DJ Chark. Conley's had some plays. They got LaVisca Chanel. Like, there's some weapons there. They need some. They need some offensive line help. They need a quarterback. And look, the talent is sprinkled all over the defense. They could use some more for sure, but it's not like they're short of playmakers on defense. This is this is a team that looks really, really down and is probably not as far down as people think it is because, look, they don't have a quarterback. It's the most important position in sports, I'd say. Uh, definitely the most important position in football. If they get one of those and a coaching staff that understands uh, how to build offensive football, um, in a way around that quarterback, I, I think they could be more successful quicker than a lot of people think they could. Do you think Doug Marone gets fired? I, I'm trying not to show my bias, but I'm gonna, I hope so. <laughs> I really don't like Doug Marone as a head football coach. Um, I think he has a role. I think he is, he could be a quality coach. I, I don't think he's the right coach for this team at this time. And I would like 
I, I have to imagine that in the, the coaching galaxy, right, which is all of, you know, major college pro and pro football, that there's, that there's a guy out there that could make more out of these pieces than he can. Um, and I would hope so for Jags fans, because again, this is not a talentless roster. This is not a roster that is completely bereft of folks that can change games. You know, they've got Miles Jack and DJ Chark and James Robinson. And, you know, there's guys on this roster that can make a difference. And it's not just a few of them, right? This team could look a lot better uh, pretty quickly if they had a decent trigger man, a little bit of offensive line help. But again, James Robinson's making all those giant line, uh, all those yards with the current offensive line they have. Like, it, it, I, I just don't think they're as far away as they look right now because, look, their quarterbacking situation is is unsettled to say um, the nicest thing I can about it. All they need is for the Jets to win one game because, believe it or not, if both of these teams are tied at 1-15 and 15 at the end of the year, the Jags, due to strength of schedule, will get the first pick in the draft. They just need the Jets to luck their way into a win, and they get Trevor Lawrence. And then that job becomes a hell of a lot more attractive to a lot of coaching candidates. Nothing against Justin Fields, nothing against Wilson, nothing against Mac Jones, all those guys. But again, Trevor Lawrence is a ticket seller, and he's a guy that, most young offensive minds that are looking for the step up to head coaching positions, they're going to want to work with Trevor Lawrence. So again, if you're a Jags fan, just pray the Jets win a game. Just one. And then you can get Trevor and you'll be fine. And then, and then we get a crazy two times a year, Deshaun Watson versus Trevor Lawrence, uh, Clemson, a Palooza. And, and I, I, I would love to see that. I mean, as a Texans fan, I, of course, I want the division to be easy to win. But at the same time, I also want to watch entertaining football games. And uh, Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville versus Deshaun Watson in Houston twice a season would be pretty fun to watch. So, again, if you're a Jags fan, just pray the Jets win. And you, too, can finally have a franchise quarterback. But that being said, uh, let's talk about Cowboys-Vikings, where uh, we have both a bootleg shot of the nom- uh, bootleg shot of the week nominee and two catch of the year nominees, all in the same game. We'll start with shot of the week. Uh, Dalvin Cook, late in the second quarter, about a minute left, running an angle route out of the backfield. Some call it a Texas route. Depends on what playbook you're looking at, because it used to be a staple of University of Texas, which is why people call it Texas route. Uh, Donovan Wilson read that Dalvin Cook breaking inside and just crushed him. Put the helmet right on the ball, broke it up, but, I mean, put all 200-plus pounds of him straight into Dalvin Cook's quad and lit him up, coming full speed downhill. Great hit. Highly recommend you check it out. Uh, if you're voting, uh, I'll have all those clips in the comments and a pinned comment. Check it out. It's a it's a massive, massive shot. Yeah, he put Dalvin Cook down. We needed to sort of check out whether Dalvin Cook would come back into the lineup. We, we again, are not here to highlight hits that, you know, promote injury or anything else, but this one's straight up. He didn't hit him in the head. He just breaks on, as soon as he sees him take that jab step on the Texas route. He is driving forward. He arrives just after the ball and levels Cook. Cook is obviously shaken up, does come back in the game uh, and contribute, so we felt okay including it. Again, not helmet to helmet, but wow, Donovan Wilson delivering ooh, a tremendous crack on Dalvin Cook. Um, and let's pivot to the catches because, look, I think we should end the voting right now. CD makes the catch of the year for a TD. Uh, 
this is an immense catch. He is headed out on a little corner route. Dalton throws the ball sort of high and back over his head. He literally has to lay out backwards, turn over, brings the ball in pretty much one-handed with his extended left hand going to the inside towards the field goal post, um, does bring it to his chest before he comes down, but basically does a full barrel roll in the air <laughs> while catching it with a guy on him. Like, it, this is, if you slow motion this thing, it is astounding in terms of a feat of athleticism. It's ridiculous. The body control, the hand-eye, you name it. It's, it's just staggering. And that we could have any kind of catch that even rivals that um, in a season, but literally in the same game, just like a quarter later, Adam Thielen gets his own TD with an amazing one-hander right down the right edge. Looks like he's going to get let out, drags both feet, pure one-handed catch, one-handed catch and secure. The fact that those happen within a couple of quarters of each other in the same game are staggering both catches are stunning i would give the edge to cd but that is nothing against Thielen. it is a staggering catch not his fault that it happened you know within a very short time frame of one of the other best catches this year in the nfl i think it was mina kimes that tweeted out she's like is this the best collection of wide receivers that we've ever seen in a game between two losing teams because <laughs> i think she's uh, right when you throw losing in there i think she's probably <laughs> If she's not dead right, she's she's spot Pretty on to something to because I mean, there's a Jefferson, lot of talent there. Thielen, yep. CD, Gallup, Amari. Uh, I mean, yep. in any normal yep. year, that would be a crazy collection. Embarrassment of, of riches for sure at one uh, position uh, for one team, but nonetheless two. And then one other guy we've talked about is Pollard. He had a huge burst. Uh, 12.05 left in the fourth quarter. We talk about Pollard. We talked about him earlier this year on the podcast as an extremely good number two behind Zeke and a guy that comes in and there's really no drop-off in terms of production or plays you can call. Uh, the burst on that touchdown run, it was like a 20, 22-yard touchdown run, something like that, was something I haven't really seen out of Pollard. We've seen a lot of great moves. Uh, we've seen some vision. We've seen power for sure out of him. But that pure burst around the edge where he just gets the edge and forget it. He just beats him to the cone. Um, big play for the Cowboys, obviously. Uh, they end up winning the game. But that was a an element I haven't seen from Pollard throughout this year. And a guy we've called out, but for different reasons and felt like calling him out again for that. Yeah, he's a, there's a lot of teams that would start him uh, at running back, let alone have him be as your backup. Again, embarrassment of riches, embarrassment of riches in terms of Dallas skill position players. I only wish they still had a quarterback that could uh, they could get all these Dalton, guys the ball. I mean, uh, to be fair, Dalton held his own this week and used that talent and won the game. Right? Yeah, somebody it's just, somebody it's threw not, those. Uh, no, he's not Dak, and he's not going to yeah. be Dak. But he definitely had some down weeks. Dalton did what I think we thought Dalton was going to do earlier this year and played at an average level. And the rest of the talent pulled him through and they got a win. Yeah. If they had, you know, a really good defense, like I'm just kind of thinking back to like the glory days of Andy Dalton where they had, you know, comparable skill position talent uh, to what Dallas has now. And like, you know, you had a really good offensive line led by Whitworth and you had a really nasty defense with like prime Dunlap and prime Geno and perfect uh, uh, Pac-Man Jones back when he was still in the league and playing well like that. When, when you had all that stuff around Andy, he could win a lot of games. 
uh, and get you to the playoffs. But if if there's not even if there's like one element missing, which for Dallas it's defense. If there's one element, and I guess offensive line depth. Uh, if there's one element missing, he's not going to kind of make up the difference, which is what Dak would uh, Dak would do for them. You know, and again, Dak was playing out of his mind this year before his injury. Sucks that he went down because when you look at the rest of this division, Dallas would probably be leading this division pretty handily if uh, if it wasn't for that injury. So unfortunate to see. But that being said, let's move on to Titans Ravens. And we got another bootleg shot of the week from this game. Patrick Queen, who's turned into one hell of a blitzer from the second level. Seems like every single week he's racking up quarterback hits and and doing really good work on kind of delay blitzes and stunts and all that kind of stuff. Twists, he's really good on twists uh, in terms of kind of navigating his way through traffic and getting to quarterbacks. Put a huge hit on Tannehill that uh, threw a pick on the play due to Queen's pressure. We're nominating that one for bootleg shot of the week, uh, and it seems like uh, Queen's going to be nominated quite frequently on this podcast because he gets quarterback hits all the time. Yeah, this one's a straight-up A-gap blitz. He doesn't even really hesitate. He just comes hard from the second level, right through the middle, nails Tannehill, who does manage to get the ball off, which is an amazing play for how fast Queen was coming. The thing that caught me is on the broadcast, they mentioned it's only Tannehill's fourth pick of the year because he threw a pick on the play because of the pressure. He, He was lucky to get it off, unlucky that it got picked, but boy, Queen was there in a hurry, and man, he hit him hard up high. Uh, right in the ribs, under the non-throwing shoulder, drove him backwards. Great play by Queen, who we talked up again last week on our rookie review. Um, and we got to talk about Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry ends up winning this game in overtime. Spoiler alert, if you're listening to this, you probably already know that. Um, he got going in the fourth, and that is of no surprise because Robert Mays, who has the Athletic Football Podcast, stated on his podcast this week a stat that stopped me cold. <laughs> I was like, that's not possible. And his co-host, Nate Tice, said the same thing. What? That's that's insane. In fourth quarters and overtimes, Derrick Henry averages 7.1 yards a carry. What? I'm going to say that again. A running back averages 7.1 yards a carry when the game's on the line. Fourth quarters and overtime. Ends up winning this one in Ugh. overtime, so it's not all that scary. But... That is a ridiculous statistic, and it is because Derrick Henry is who he is. He is a big physical back. He will wear you down, and late in the game, he's going to find those breaks. He's going to get those long runs, and if you don't tackle him, he's got the speed to take it all the way home. Thought it was interesting that he won it on a cutback because cutback is not typically what we think of as Derrick Henry's strong suit. Um, Just sort of glided in between two defenders and then took off put the gas on and they didn't catch him uh late in the game ravens were gassed i i get it but um wasn't the only sort of beast mode performance in this game the one that we talked about earlier we alluded to everybody was talking about on social media aj brown goes beast mode and scores with just over two minutes left what looks like uh the winning score uh, before the Ravens come back and tie it up and push it to overtime. But A.J. Brown, grown man touchdown, gets the catch, what looks to be a sort of a regular gain, um, busts a couple trackles, drags a guy into the end zone. Uh, it it always amazes me that both A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf were receivers on the same college team, and they did nothing that year. So believe it or not, in this game, 
the Ravens defense had 14 missed tackles, which is an extremely high number. Most of them were probably on A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry, as you said. Uh, And I think when you look at kind of the, the turning points in this game, it was getting Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey isolated on these two big bodies in space. Uh, in space. AJ Brown, 220 plus pounds. Again, another guy built like a brick shit house. If he played running back, he'd probably fit right in. And Derrick Henry, 240 plus. There was something about just getting these big bodies on the ground. This goes back to the playoff game last year too. Like it's a good tackling defense, but against just size and physicality when the weather starts to get holder, colder, excuse me. These DBs kind of wilt and the, the the missed tackles go up as the season goes on for these guys and so if if I'm the Ravens the number one thing that I'm drilling into my guys again as we get into December as we get into January because for the last two years like even going back to you know when they got waxed by the Chargers a couple of years ago tackling was an issue in the secondary for them that year too for whatever reason when the temperatures start to get colder the missed tackle rates go way up for this Baltimore defense it's bit them in the ass two years in a row in the playoffs and against a big physical team uh, like the Titans with Henry and Brown and you know even Corey Davis is a bigger guy as well. Like It's going to keep biting them in the ass and that's why the Titans are always going to stick with the run game against them. They're always going to throw a lot of screens against them. They're always going to throw a lot of mesh against them where they can just get big guys on the run because these corners just cannot tackle. Yeah, I think they can. They're going to have to, like you said, if they're going to advance, it's a key, especially against a guy like Henry that late in the game, that's his bread and butter. Like that is his signature contribution, right? He is good in the first three quarters. He is great in the fourth quarter. And that's when it comes down to crunch time. Like you said, if that game is outside and the weather is gross, uh, you got to count on team tackling because one guy can always slip off a Derrick Henry that is the way that it goes that's the way he's built that's what he brings to the football game so an important point again little things are big uh in the games down the stretch and that is a you know we try and highlight those things for you every week on the podcast that is a huge one let's do our bootleg shot of the week summary so Quandre Diggs hit to completely explode Dan Arnold. We didn't talk about this game, Seahawks, Cardinals, but Quandre Diggs annihilated Dan Arnold. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is before the penalty shot. That came later on. People said that hit was dirty. We're not talking about that one. This is a clean shot on Dan Arnold, and he separates him from the ball extremely cleanly. That's putting it nicely. So check that one out. Uh, Jeremy Chin on Marvin Jones running right through him on the sideline form tackle and again a very quick trigger by chin to get moving on that one patrick queen on the a gap a gap blitz that we just talked about nailing Tannehill makes him throw a pick due to the pressure deshaun watson for the interesting quarterback inclusion in bootleg shot of the week runs over one of the mccordy twins on the goal line for the score chase young mashing joe burrow before he got knocked out of the game causing a fumble on the goal line big play early in the game um Number two hits number one in the draft and uh, forces a fumble. Great play. And Donovan Wilson with the massive shot coming up from the safety spot and destroying Dalvin Cook on that option, angle route, Texas route, whatever you want to call it. You can call it a big hit because he just blew up Dalvin Cook. 
a minute ago right before halftime for that one if you want to look it up again brett will link all those in the bootleg shot of the week voting we know this has been a massive one we hope you guys are enjoying a little tryptophan haze after turkey uh on thanksgiving listening to this um thanks for sticking with us we know it's been a long time we will be back with you next week i'm sure there'll be tons more to talk about until then enjoy friends enjoy family stay safe listen up we will talk to you next week later later